Ok Video, coming to you from Calgary, Alberta. Earlier this month, I saw Styx live in concert, and it was tremendously fun. What a gleefully goofy band. 50 years they've been doing this, and this wasn't billed as a farewell tour, so they'll probably be back again. A special treat for Canadian fans is Lawrence Gowan, now being the lead singer and keyboardist. Thanks to the CRTC, his song A Criminal Mind seeped into my brain long ago. So hearing it live and having the opportunity to buy a comic book telling the tale of this tragic figure was the cherry on top. I'm Nathan Rohr, and I will happily buy an overpriced t-shirt under the right circumstances. I'm joined, as always, by Ryan McCullough. Hey there, Ryan here. Uh, I got nothing. I don't... I've never... Never listened You've never to heard it. of Gowan? I've never... For a couple levels here. Not a fan of sticks. And oh, you're a normie then. Sure. Okay. And then wow. never. Do, I don't even know who Lawrence Gowan is. Like this is a reference <laughs> that's completely even a criminal mind. I have no idea what you're talking about. And I you don't know Canada. this classic. If you wow. if you hum a little bit of the chorus, maybe, but probably not. Well, I got the music sheets right here in this comic book. I mean, <laughs> no. Okay. Uh. Yeah. What you don't you don't love bad songs that are real fun? <laughs> I I do, but I, Rush is my go to Canadian bad song group. No, but they're like good songs, aren't they? Well, okay, no. So the difference is Rush. Rush is like some of the best musicians making really mediocre, silly songs, like written songs, but like kind of nerdy, corny yeah. songs. But yeah, they're composed yeah. so perfectly because you got Neil Peart, like. One of the best drummers of all time. You got Getty Lee, who's like singing, playing bass and keys all at the same time. Like, that's nuts. Yeah. A lot of instruments. And so... And, and Alex, Alex Lifeson, who is totally there playing guitar. Yeah. I don't want to overlook him. No, he's, he's, <laughs> he's a good, good guitarist. He's just yeah. like the less remarkable one out of the three. But yeah. yeah, they're singing about trees going to war. And they're not even Ents. They're just trees. And they're singing about um the limelight and they're singing about you know today's in, tom sawyer today's tom sawyer, talk about the working today. man they're singing about like what's that one in the 80s where they're like take it to the main See, Styx has a song called the blue collar man and it's much the same level <laughs> but i don't know well when working man's it, not great because it's pre neil pert he wasn't in the band yet but i wasn't sure they were gonna drop mr roboto because i know that's kind of like a fraught period or whatever like the band kind of losing its identity in the 80s Wait, but it they was did the, mr roboto they did an encore it was it was the first I know, part but of is the that encore. their song is mr roboto yeah sticks is mr roboto dude <laughs> oh no <laughs> that's the kind of cheeseburgers i want and uh, they totally served him it was great weren't they like Come a sail hair, away was like a end. giant like epic metal band like isn't that their thing like like rush oh dude i i'd almost call them like prog rock or like pop rock of that time like big stadium late 70s right? late like mid to late 70s yeah, yeah they okay. started in 72 so they were celebrating 50 years of rocking <laughs> <laughs> which was sorry and who is lawrence cowan then lawrence cowan is yeah. a he's like a canadian artist who did this this song criminal mind which to me perfectly like pairs with renegade from sticks catalog so like when i heard he took over his lead singer like 23 years ago i was like that's perfect of course he did so when i like they, they've been here they're like calgary's a regular stop for sticks like all the time we are their demographic we're their target i guess like kind of doofy stuff from that era is well within our wheelhouse but i kept overlooking it because i was like oh whatever like 
I do have this double collection of hits that I listen to when I'm washing my dishes, and I love a lot of these songs, but I'm not going to go see that. But yeah. now this extra like sweetening of just like, oh, this Canadian guy, this is the only we- way to see a Gowan concert. <laughs> uh, so And there was. There was a full like mini Gowan concert in the middle of this. Like The rest of the dudes just kind of left, and he was on the keyboard doing so stuff for a bit. What what happened to the other guy? Like, what happened to the... I, Dennis DeYoung just was done, I guess, in 1999, and several OG members. Like I think three guys have been there the whole time. Uh, no, Tommy Shaw, I think, joined a couple years after, but he became like one of the bigger deals in Sticks. He was in Damn Yankees, the super group. So it is my type of sugary nonsense. Like, I think I was kind of like cloaking my enthusiasm for this band in irony because like, oh, yeah, they're so bad, right? It's like Europe. But it's like, no, no, I think I actually just like them. <laughs> uh i've just been lying for years so i'm coming out as a sticks fan okay. here on the show I sure guess. i bought a shirt and stuff it's fun uh it's fun i mean so uh, the band i'm gonna be going to see it's like well off into the future but they just announced their dates three or four weeks ago uh yeah is sloan Are you, have you heard of sloan before another great canadian band oh not not high on my brain right here it's like, like uh, the dimmest it feels good do it is their big big song Okay. Good to it. I w- I wasn't really tuned in in the nineties. To be fair, that w- that's I a was... two thousand song. Um, okay. Anyways, yeah, they're they're pretty great. They just they have a new album coming on. They're playing at the uh, Dixons. Uh, not Dickens? Dixons. Dickens. Yes. Oh, okay. So, Charles okay. Dickens's bar. That's right. Yeah, and uh, I mean, Blink announced they're coming to Calgary with the full original band, but it's like fifty dollars for bad tickets. So. Yeah, I, I've been reading some stuff like about Ticketmaster just colluding with scammers and like scalpers well, so, and stuff. Yeah. So Ticketmaster does this thing now where they do a bunch of levels of pre-sales and then they sell out of those really quick because like bots buy them and then they yeah. resell those tickets for way higher. And they allow that as it's like a third party, even though it's scalping. I don't know how they get away with it. It's scalping. But yeah, and they get to double dip on like they get a commission or something from that. So it's really just them turning a blind eye to the bot selling. That's like, oh, yeah, we don't allow that. We don't encourage that. But they do nothing to stop it because it benefits them long term. 100%. This is based on like a four year old like consumer report from CBC investigating. But I bet it still happens. Um, Yeah. Because for a while before. Also, I just kind of hate that company. So Uh, I'll I'll spit out old information. Those guys are probably criminal. (laughs) Before the tickets went on properly sale, like when the pre-sale stuff was going up, it was like selling because they would sell out within minutes. Any ticket you would find was like 450 500 bucks. Yeah. And yeah. now proper tickets are like R150 to 270 which is still crazy high. What's the venue? Like it's where the are they going? Room. It is? Okay. It's just, it's kind of old, I guess. Like we saw Nine Inch Nails there and it was like they couldn't rig it up the way they normally do. So I was kind of underwhelmed. Yeah, like they can't, uh, they can't hang speakers from the ceiling because the ceiling's going to collapse it's too old yeah, yeah and not really designed for well, it well yeah so. the shape of it is also like very yeah this is a fraught thing in calgary we need a new set stadium but also rich people are just being yeah. terrible they oh, want the man. government to like, pay for it but they want all the proceeds so yeah. i think that part of this whole thing though was just me kind of tuning into like 
No, no, I just like these songs, so them just performing Sweet Madam Blue, which I forgot I knew, is just like, oh, this is delightful. This is incredible. Look at these guys Where right here. Where did they play? Uh, the Jube. Like, the, the Jubilee. Jubilee. Okay, Jubilee. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. Yeah, was, I mean, I, I fun top to bottom. I I do I do know the song Mr. Roboto, so I that's the one song I know. I, I've never liked Mr. Roboto, so I can't join you. Oh, it's the best part though is it's part of a concept album, and I don't I've never listened to the concept album. So the final line of that song is just like, "I will finally reveal who I am. I'm Kilroy." And it's like, what does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> so I need to listen to this like. 39 year old record to finally solve the mystery but they're still writing they wrote a mars concept album like 10 years ago yeah rush up until neil died they were still making new content i know i saw them at the snakes and arrows tour and i was like yeah this this new 2008 album that rush put out this is it right here far cry is a song on there but wait when you saw rush live did they spin neil neil totally spun around dude it was awesome that this brought back memories of that too because gowan's keyboard just spins around for no reason just for stunting purposes (laughs) and he's just bumping it and spinning it and standing on it and all this dumb stuff it's just like this is great this is nothing to do with playing the keyboard it's just fun (laughs) so (laughs) perfect (laughs) yeah uh great yeah hey well anyways we don't talk concerts here we talk we don't talk music it's true and i'm ryan and this is nathan he's gonna tell us about today's movie so speaking of legendary musicians rob zombie is the conductor of our last leg of the slasher movie remake i'm starting to understand better why this connects (laughs) but okay i came up with that later i had to talk about sticks anyway but whatever his remake of halloween from 2007 arrives just in time for the titular holiday for 2022 that said it was actually released august 31st 2007 for fear of getting overshadowed by saw 4 uh it cost 15 million dollars and managed 80 uh 58 domestic 22 international yeah. Uh, but but Saw Four did pull in like 139, so they were wise, I guess, to step aside. It was still owned by that franchise. Yeah, it wasn't until time. like like five and six that it started to dwindle. Like for them. I was done at that point, and I think my friend Ben was too. Like he went and saw three in theaters, and then was like, "Oh, what? Something about Tobin Bell? Like maybe he dies in that one?" I think that's when he properly dies. Yeah, and then the rest are flashbacks. Or disciples of his. Well, but he's still in something. all the movies, though. So there's flashbacks of him in all of them with his disciples. Setting up long-term yes. schemes. Yeah. So. Uh, that was the first one not written by Lee Winnell, I found out. Yeah, so. yeah. And the first one to kind of go down the tubes like crazy. People really <laughs> like three. I guess some people still like three, yeah. I just remember something about pigs. I, only, I think I've only seen the first two. I'm going to say that. Uh, I've seen the first three, and then I was like... I, even two and three was like a slog. I actually didn't see any of these in theaters. I was just like, I'm going to watch these because everyone's like, hey, if you like horror, you have to like this. And I was like, I don't think that's true. I somehow also never. Yeah, I never saw one in theaters. So there you go. But OK, enough about the, that. those movies, though. It's Halloween time. Ryan, why don't you lay the summary on us? Perfect. For this, this, uh, for this legacy unknown... sequel? Oh, no. That's a legacy. We'll get into what a legacy sequel is versus a reboot in a bit legacy reboot yeah no, okay not even close okay ready <clears throat> have you ever wondered gee there's too much mystery surrounding the mysterious figure that is michael myers or 
I wish someone would over-explain Michael Myers' origin story. Well, you're in luck, because Rob Zombie wondered that too. Then he was asked to make a Halloween reboot. Now, Nathan and I are watching it, and it's definitely like John Carpenter's. Well, Yay. if John Carpenter hated everyone and everything, especially you, the audience. Wait, what? You twisted around on me. Oh no. It's so... This movie's so mean-spirited, man. Eh. Of these remakes we've watched, I would say it's not the most mean-spirited. Sorry, <laughs> but... Sorry, what do you mean? Like, uh, out of all of them this so didn't, far... This didn't make me feel gross like last week's movie did, I guess. <laughs> Black Christmas, sure. Black Christmas still wins the gross crown sure. for me. For me, it's not about... We'll the... get into that next week. <laughs> It's not about but, the yeah. grossness, because I don't, uh, yeah, you're right, Black Christmas is definitely more gross than this movie. There's mm-hmm. something, there's a sinister, pessimistic element towards Rob Zombie's movies, where he, he like, takes his characters and kills them for whatever reason, but then makes them, pay, like, painfully suffer. You're uh... I mean, I haven't seen uh, the Sid Haig ones. Like, I haven't seen House of a Thousand Corpses or Devil's Rejects. Devil's Rejects. Yeah. Uh, so I don't. I can't really speak to those. I or or past that, like Lords of Salem or whatever that was. Three from Hell, I think, is the next one actually. For in that oh, franchise, sure. but the, yeah, yeah. Lords I, from I've one. honestly his Halloween movies are probably the only movies of his I've seen. Uh, Fascinating. Okay. Yeah. So I don't have too much context on. I've seen music videos and stuff. Which he sure. might have, have a hand he in. He doesn't even have And he did good... that Grindhouse trailer with uh, Nicolas Cage. He did do that, which we don't talk about because it's pretty insensitive materials. What? The werewolf women of the SS? The Fu Manchu scene, yeah. Oh, sure, yeah. But I, it's deliberately alluding to a I totally crappy agree, man. Totally exploitation agree. thing. Tony Randall, like, I don't know. Still yellow face, <laughs> but that's okay. Murder by Death has tons of stuff like that. Oh, and I know. It's like that, a 70s that, movie. When did that come out? 76? Yeah, exactly. I want to say. I know it's an old thing though, and it's like it's joking around. So I agree. I I, I like Grindhouse and SS. Okay, where so Werewolf of the no Werewolf Women of the SS is a, is a fun was a fun trailer when I saw it in two thousand seven. Yeah, so. yeah, same year as this. Um, but okay, uh, I think this movie like we're probably gonna find ourselves disagreeing a little bit. I'm not gonna say I like this movie, but I liked it more than I did. 14 years ago or whatever when i last saw it yeah uh because that time i definitely like i'd given it a four apparently out of 10 on imdb okay uh and left that there to in fact i might have lowered it after i saw halloween 2 you on letterbox you have it at one out of five that's pretty that's even lower than one and a half sorry one and a half because you have halloween 2 at one which i thought halloween 2 is worse I haven't revisited my letterbox. I kind of forgot I rated it there. Can I tell you uh, something that's frustrating about letterbox? You can give yeah. a five star, hundred percent perfect movie rating, but you can't give a zero. Oh. Anyways, can you give half? You can give a half, which is a ten percent, a one out of ten. That's pretty low, right? It's that's, pretty low, but some movies there. are like that's a there's a, nothing. Right, nothing. you can't give it that kind of stamp of like this is reprehensible. Yes. Like Ebert would lay out on some of his least favorite movies. One hundred percent. Like it's like do not actively, out of the actively do not watch this movie. Yeah, yeah. Avoid at all costs. This, I, that's the thing. I don't think this is an avoid at all costs movie for me at all. No. Um, but I think 
I I have different experience with the Halloween franchise than you, so I'm not as attached to some of this stuff. Okay, so let's, I was kind okay, of, so which Halloween movies have you seen? Uh, the first two. Okay. Uh, well, the first three, but I don't know if you count three. It's it's part of the franchise. It's not. A it's Michael part of the Myers franchise. Movie, it's, it's it's not really a Michael movie, but he's yeah. on a TV at some point. But it's time. hard to say because you just seen the first two, and then there is four, five, six. Like it is numbered. So safe. I missed that trilogy. I guess the Curse trilogy, the Thorn trilogy, is what it's called. Okay, I never saw those. Uh, and then I saw these two reboots and the first. Tw- of the new trilogy like the 2018 one. Oh no but you so you, but you also saw h2o and resurrection. i've seen hto and resurrection okay. also okay so so you've seen I've most seen of the dimension era, all so but three of them i guess now yeah there's that I'm thinking five movies it. in the dimension era which is starts in six goes through h2o resurrection and then these two rob zombie films okay okay so um, yeah, so I'm missing the, the like Daniel Harris's debut in the movies. Yeah, I didn't as a know kid that in happened. Four and five, yeah. Yeah, I was kind of reading about her her venture into this movie and like having to like audition, audition and like try to no no I'm not that little kid anymore and all this kind of stuff. So it was like oh weird I didn't know that was a thing like yeah. that would be an issue. Uh, so yeah, but I don't know. I that said too, I've. I've never held them quite as highly as you either. Like the thing is the great movie he made to mm-hmm. me, and then this is another movie he made in 1978, and gotcha. it's okay. Yeah, so. it's I have I've given both five stars. The thing okay. and this movie are his five star reviews for me. Uh, yeah. No, Michael okay. Myers is a franchise I care about, uh, but I I think overall though. I, I think I like the slasher genre a little bit more than you. I guess so. There's there's parts of it I like quite a lot, sure. but I guess. I mean, we'll I'm not trying to say like that. you don't like it. I'm not trying to gatekeep or say like anything like that. I just think that like out of honestly this... for horror, I find them the most like accessible because I don't find them that scary. Yeah, they're more they... like crazy gag movies or something. Hundred percent, they're the fun ones for me. Uh, yeah, but for me, it's like. <clears throat> The Peak of the Mountain is Michael Myers. Like, he is the top villain for me. But I have a deep love for Scream because that was the movie I grew up on. Like, I was a 90s kid, so Scream was... But not... The sequels have... As much as I like the sequels, the sequels have tarnished those where I think that there's been good Michael Myers movies along the way. So. I mean, you're a big fan of two also. It was in our sequels batch or whatever. Um, But, yeah, those are kind of a different thing. Did we watch but, uh, Halloween 2 in our sequels batch? No, not Halloween 2. Scream 2. Oh, yeah. Scream 2, yes. Sorry, yeah. I'm a big fan of Scream 2, yes. But those are kind of like the two movies where the rest of them are kind of like, oh, these are fun and diverse. These are kind of trying to recapture that lightning or whatever. But, and... but failing or just having a good time. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, but yeah, this time sitting down with this, I think in light of watching a whole bunch of these, it was at least... Like that first 49 minutes where it's like a very different movie, I was at least kind of, okay, at least this is different. Like this isn't, this is like bolder than A Nightmare on Elm Street where it's, it has a chance to be different and it isn't. Yes. It just returns directly to the curve or whatever. Like this at least was vibing like a totally different movie. Like it kind of isn't a slasher movie for like 49 minutes you know yeah. like the biography portion yeah i know which I... is is a little bit like yeah like at some point it's like 
I kept thinking of the phrase less is more versus like more is more. And Rob Zombie seems to be more more is more. Like I'll just show it. I'll just have him talk. I'll just have him be a character and show his life and stuff. And at least it's something after like seven movies of him being knife man, you know, like just murder guy. It at least is trying something. But that's the thing is like, I mean, so, okay. When I saw this movie in 2007, I was angry with it just because like for me the showing more makes things less scary like i find michael in this movie to be significantly less scary and then he tries to emphasize opposite things like instead of michael being a mysterious force of nature he's just a tall dude who's hulking so he's like yeah that's a force of nature because he could walk through a wall so it's like they made super shredder and they're like they made him a super shredder character instead of actually making him scary as a being a mystery they like and you're right he's doing something different but then like the david like now we've done it all these years later and david gordon green and showed up and was like hey i am gonna recapture this like what is this dude with the mystery with the thing and showed us what a good like sequel or good like image of michael myers could be like so yeah yeah I don't know. Like, I, I, I guess I just don't have strong feelings for like, I haven't watched two of the most recent ones yet either. So I don't know how they realize that complete vision. Um, I mean, sure. I mean, that first movie yeah. is mainly what I'm referring to, though. The 2018 one. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wait, you're saying that you like Rob Zombie's Halloween more than David Gordon Green's Halloween? It's sort of a wash. Like, I didn't okay. like I probably gave that one a six. And this is like risen to a five, you know, or five and a half on a good day. Okay. So, yeah, like, but okay. I just, there's so many. I think the thing I like the least about this movie is when it returns to being a slasher movie in the latter half. Like when it is the remake, you know? Okay. That's the the exact opposite. That's like when I start to have like a motocrim of like, oh, okay. This is the stuff he can kind of do. Yeah. There's about 15 <laughs> okay. minutes. There's about 15 minutes in there because I don't love the ending of the movie where the 15 minutes where he's just remaking Halloween in 15 minutes. Yeah. That's where I'm like on board. But then he has this extra tag on ending and he has the 40 minute beginning that I'm like, oh, I don't like any of this. Gosh, I just watched it. What's what's the tag on ending? So like, there's uh, the, the fight scene at the house. In the car? Well, yeah. no, no. So there's the fight scene in the house and then he kidnaps her and brings her to judith meyer's grave he makes up type of thing so it's just a little yeah this like shrine or whatever in the house it's a little extra bit because when the police show up about 20 minutes left in the movie the police show up at the house and that's when the first movie ended they just kept going for this one okay okay yeah i i guess we'll we'll get there but i don't know i think the the only part i was kind of like finding anything interesting about was that part that departs from all of it like that first 49 minute part where it's just like this is a weird choice for like i i think the way i was internalizing it was like he is not the shape in this movie he's just a kid named michael yeah he's he's this kid named michael who became a murderer yes and it's about a kid who became a psychopath or whatever so okay Uh, to the point where it's doing like total serial killer type stuff with like him torturing animals and whatever yes which i felt at least justified to some extent the the lingering like 
murders that happen where he's kind of leaving people twisting and writhing around for a bit so it's like evil you know like that's kind of his oh yeah well i mean creepy thing so rob zombie is establishing this world to exist this is my problem with so i also watched halloween 2 uh with this movie which was a mistake because in this first movie he's trying to establish that michael's just he's there's nothing special about him he's just a serial killer like he is just a a psychopath sure killer. like much like mine hunter will get into the warning signs yeah, or whatever this 100%. movie almost has that too but, but they then intervene halloween too 2 late. yeah brings back in the supernatural element but uh, it doesn't okay. make sense to the movie they just established which is not a supernatural element no it's, a very grounded story in yeah, this first which one michael has a supernatural element to him because there's no way he can survive all the punishment he gets unless something's driving him to move past the pain or the hurt or something in the yeah the unle- unless it wanted to commit to some other like oh he has that disorder where you don't feel pain or something yeah but you still die from a lot of the wounds regardless yeah. so he just, does get shot several times in this movie that's what i mean like in the movies before this and after uh michael has like a supernatural element to him that keeps him like going forward even though he should be dead uh okay whereas like this movie doesn't have that at all which okay sure like let's say you make that choice rob zombie then for me halloween one sits next to halloween two because they came out so in search succession and rob zombie prefers halloween two he's like his preferred movie between the two of them really because all all i read was the trivia for one and it just he talked about having a terrible experience with the weinsteins and then a worse experience on two yes so i assumed two would be less glowing but the thing is that he had a worse experience on two because he was given freedom to make two how he wanted and then when it came up different than the first one the weinsteins were on set for two being like you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. And him keeping me like, just shut up. Leave me alone. Just shut up. Leave me alone. So he had a worse I was time. hearing that. It was like they were like pointing at a screen with this movie on, like the 2007 yes. movie, and are just kind of like, make it like that. And I was yeah. like, that was a hit. So make it like that. And, and so like, he okay. made the movie he wanted, but it was a way worse experience because the wine scenes were like, why are you doing all these weird things? Okay. okay. And so, so yeah, that's, that's the, what the gist of I got of this comment. Okay. So a couple things really quick. What is your general opinion on Malcolm McDowell? I like him a lot more than you do because we were talking about Clockwork and how I like that movie. Yes. Uh, and actually, we were talking about boring actors, and you brought him up, and I was really offended because I thought he was. <laughs> when did this happen? Uh, it was part of our question segment where I was like, "Here, Dulia, right? Dull." Oh and yeah, then yeah, you, yeah. Because I took offense to that Malcolm McDowell, yeah, and I was like Malcolm McDowell. Uh, it's like maybe, oh, Matthew Modine, one of the worst. Maybe not of all the. Time. Maybe not. He probably isn't a boring actor, but I don't think he's actually a good actor. I think he's actually a pretty terrible actor. Okay. Is what it comes down to. And, like, I'm not saying, like, that he's not great in a few things, but when you've seen the larger breadth of his work, like, as much as he's done clockwork, he also did Caligula, and Caligula is garbage. Like, it's actual hot trash. Yeah, no, he's sort of a campy guy in a way. Like him here playing younger with like this long hair and yes. stuff was kind of amusing to me. Uh, but I I don't know that I loved it or anything. No, uh, and and I think that's the thing. I'm not saying that he's great in this movie. I just like I can't make the shift from Malcolm McDowell, whereas like I to like hey this guy's playing Donald Pleasance. 
And I'm like, oh. I feel Donald Pleasance was like really committed and elevating that oh, in a 100%. good way. Like he he bought into Loomis in a big way and is in like subsequent uh, Carpenter projects and stuff. Yeah, he's in one, two, four, five, and six, and he died. Six is his last film project. Yeah, yeah. So. But uh, Prince of or what is it? Darkness. But yeah, he did Prince of Darkness. Yeah, and I think he has one more. He's a cameo. Oh, he's Escape from New York. He's the president. Mm-hmm. That was the same. And he's just he's just kind of one of those like classically trained guys like a Alec Guinness or something who's showing up in these genre flicks yeah. and like get, bring in it, though, yes. a little bit. So well, and I think I think a little bit different than Guinness because Guinness Guinness was always professional. And he did a great job, but he, he wasn't always like respectful of the material he was covering. Whereas I think Donald like he might not have been respectful, but he had a fun time and he knew how to make it buys in a little more yeah. or something. Yeah. So uh. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to like uh I I'm trying not to let my dim memories of 2 really cloud it cuz I guess I have a question for you though having just watched Rob Zombie's 2. Loomis just lives, I guess. Like yeah. I was kind of really watching the end of this movie where he gets his head kind of grabbed yeah. and crushed yeah. a little bit. But then you just hear like, a sound and then he falls to the ground. Is this is this meant to leave him in doubt that he's dead or yeah, is this I think supposed it was, to be a death? I don't think Rob Zombie had a sequel in mind. But then when this did well, the wine scenes went to him and said, Hey, can you make a sequel? And he Does said, he have a big sure. bandage on his head or something? Or? No, it's it's years <laughs> later. It's two years later. So it's like okay. real time later. Um no, they just lean more heavily into Sam Loomis as a glory hound a-hole. Kind of like a profiteer and all this yeah. misery. And yeah. I just like, it's maybe perfect casting for how I see Malcolm McDowell. I just watched the, I, okay, some of this is stemming out of, I just watched the TNG Star Trek films. Yeah. And watching all four of them, I watched all four of them and... Obviously, First Contact and Insurrection, they still sit on a great... Like, I have a good time with those movies. I like those movies. Like, I'm starting to appreciate Nemesis more and more as I've gotten older and less grumpy. Okay. And I've started to be like, Generations is a bad movie. Like, it's so joylessly happening. Hmm. Okay. And Malcolm McDowell is just there. And it feels like it's not having a good time. It feels like he's treating it like it's beneath him. All right. I've never felt that way. I don't think it's a great movie because it's sort of this weird half step. Like, it's like, no, we're still saddled by the legacy of the original series. We're not confident enough that TNG can be a movie. So we kind of have hangover from those early ones. Sure. Uh, and then they the, the whole kind of Kirk finale stuff oh, is so just a little underbaked or underbaked. not as awesome yeah. as it should be if you're gonna have kirk and picard team up you gotta have them on the bridge i don't understand why <laughs> you'd ever have them not on the bridge of the ship i mean it it, it sort of fits shatner to like yeah fist fight good old-fashioned yeah, rumble sure yeah. that's that's sort of stuff kirk would do and that's not really picard's camp or whatever no. but i kind of wish they did a trade where somehow they're both on a bridge yes or something like they both have that moment too yeah it's like we got to deal with some Klingons, but it's like, well, but then how does he die and save millions of people? It's like, I, no, there's I guess. ways to make it. Scripters can make things happen. Anyway, sure. I'm just saying, yeah. Generations was like it's a snooze fest. It's dull. It's like a not even a fun Star Trek episode because Picard is the big front point, but it's like really leans into his Victorian era dreams that he has, 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, I don't care about Victorian era Picard. Like, I don't Or like, care. yeah, like wanting to be on a sailing ship. Yes. Like back in the good old or days Or just like his family. His dream world is a Victorian era place where he's married with kids. Well, because he lost his nephew in that fire. Yeah, but know? it's but it's Victorian. So he wasn't Victorian in the year 20... There's a romanticized, yes. like, past thing. He's But that's the Nexus. That's that what is the Nexus. I don't know. I, know, I think just... this was, again, a movie I stumbled on on TV when I was, like, 9 or 10 and thought it was fun. Okay. And, like, that was cemented too hard to ever get rid of. So Data with his, like, emotion chip yep. and being all excited about his cat spot surviving no, the totally, crash and stuff. It's just totally like, happy ah, I just with the Data stuff. stuff. I just feel like Data gets sidelined with the rest of the crew. And then for a big portion of it's Picard on his own and i've never been i like picard but picard's never been my favorite of that cast okay and kirk has never been my favorite of that cast so of I'm his always, cast yeah, yeah. so you get a little bit of scotty like, check off at the beginning but then they're gone like, like if somebody said hey now. ryan we're gonna do a crossover with the original group and the tng and it's data and spock i'd be like oh i'm there 100 percent. give me that ticket i'm at no that no movie. we got we got we got yeah kirk and Chekhov and scotty that's yeah. it yeah yeah anyways yeah. It, it's fine i'm just saying like malcolm mcdowell like already has the sourness in the back of my brain then i went into this movie uh i completely forgot about the stanley kubrick conversation so maybe there's a subconscious reality mm-hmm. there too but yeah malcolm is not not a guy i particularly enjoy watching because i feel yeah. like he just plays the same person whereas another guy terrence stamp he has that same tenor about himself in all of his roles, but he somehow can play a different character each time. Okay. Huh. I I don't know. Okay. I, I, I'm honestly like my inclination is to be like, yeah, Terrence Stamp's just kind of boring. Sure. Like he's just not a really fun actor. So like he's okay occasionally. Yeah. Like in the limey, that was okay. Sure. But I, I don't really find him that great. I like so, dogs, whatever. So I would not make that trade. Um, but anyways, I, it just, for whatever reason, there are two dudes in my mind of like, of like second tier fame that have been acting forever, like workman actors. Like British dudes with white hair and that have been, that have been, that have been acting consistently, but not ever like starring in their own films, like on a big level. Yeah. Okay. So, Fair anyways. enough. Uh, anyway, so that's a big strike. And I had seen. House of the Thousand Corpus and Corpses and Devil's Reject before this movie. So I was already like, this guy does not make movies that I like. Like, Devil's Rejects is just so despairful. Like, I just feel so, like, heavy and gloomy afterwards. I kind of always feel I don't have enough, like, cultural context for what he's riffing on for those. Like, it seems like he he's a big genre fan. Mm-hmm. Like, you can see it in this movie. There's always a TV on in a living room with, like, some classic on. Yeah. Like, House on Haunted Hill, uh, White Zombie, the movie. Yeah. Uh, I, some Was that where the Frankenstein guy was getting shot or whatever? Like, that monster walks into the room and is getting blasted by all these cops or whatever? I, I'd like, stop. I wasn't paying attention to those specific details. I remember sure, the, thing sure. was hap- like, the thing was playing. Th- thing was in there. Yeah. That's probably what that was, actually, was that creature. Uh, but whatever. So, he, you know, he's a big fan of this, this old stuff and is kind of incorporating some of that in I here. I think it's a little bit of a grindhouse from the 70s grindhouse where it was just kind of like... But it was just not as intense because Eli Roth comes from the same camp that yeah I put both of them together in my brain as like they both love Grindhouse and like there's a point where Tarantino was kind of getting sucked into it 
and then he kind of like escaped it and i'm happy about that escaping because he started uh, to become pretty cruel in some of his stuff i don't know okay but or like his character and from dust till dawn and whatever or yeah it's that whole era of filmmaking where in like the mid 2000s where all these guys were buddies and making movies together like the grindhouse yeah. movie like even i like stuntman mike but there's some mean-spirited stuff in in death proof type of thing i guess so it just feels so much tamer than planet terrors like but like planet terror is stuff, like the one where it's like know? oh this is over the top silly this is more parody than like actually being cruel or yeah mean or whatever I, I i guess so yeah it's a subtle distinction like probably more people die in planet terror but yes. it's more but there's like buckets and... of goo when they get run over type of thing like it's like a giant yeah anyways yeah um yeah. so yeah there's just this there's this, this level thing and so for me you know that like we we're talking about watching texas chainsaw massacre and there's just like aesthetic that i just find gringy and gross yeah rob zombie has that too where but it's like dusty version of it rather than the slimy version of it where everything just like nothing looks good like a real life good they all looks like everybody just rolled around in the dirt before filming and then they said action there was a point in this of like michael gets dirtier and dirtier and grosser and and grosser over the course of consistency that he wants to keep up with yeah yeah honestly one of my aesthetic like question marks with this movie that was sort of plaguing me the whole movie do you remember when we saw the Eric Bana, Scott Derrickson film, Deliver Us From Evil? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And after the movie, we were kind of like talking. And it's just like, wait, 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 wait. When was that movie set? Because <laughs> there's this like sepia toned 70s yeah. tinge to these flashbacks. But with the math, that would have been like 1996 or something <laughs> when that happened. Yeah. This movie has a similar like, wait, what year is this? Because... All of the intro prologue stuff felt like the late seventies to me, like early eighties. Yeah, but it was mid nineties. By by virtue of when we end up, yeah, it has to be mid nineties. Yeah, because at... he's twenty one in this movie as an adult. Nuts, yeah, because all that stuff looked so old to me. Like even like fashion choices that like Deborah Myers was making, sure. like her sweaters and her her like a. Uh, leopard skins or something like all the stuff she's wearing all the kind of kiss like the kiss t-shirt kid being way into kiss seems like oh yeah kiss was blown up in 1978 this makes sense but like in the the mid 90s it was like where's the nirvana gear like where's the grunge pearl jam yeah it, it didn't feel correct at all and then i was like so i was i was like okay this is a really weird choice because this movie starts in 1978 and then most of the action takes place in 1993. That's incredible. And then over the course of it, it was like, no, 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 wait. That kid at the school was wearing, like, new headphones. And then, like, someone will pick up a cordless phone and stuff. And it's just like, I think there's even a cell phone in this movie. Yeah, it, it dances around phone, it a little. It's a Yeah. Phone. Something I really liked about uh, uh, Death Proof was, like, it looking like that but then joking with it yes because it would be like there's like a scene where someone's texting like fully texting on a cell phone but everything aesthetically looks like 1976 or something right so i wish it played its cards like more confidently with that and just leaned into how absurd it was being to make it work or something but instead it just felt like a mistake well i think that was plaguing the whole thing a little bit yeah as it went on (laughs) the one thing that 
that doesn't lean to what you're saying, but leans towards what like the actual anachronism, like a real good placing is that instead of it being a seventies, like long haircut for, for Malcolm McDowell, it could be an Eddie Vedder look he's got in the nineties. He's really (laughs) going for the Pearl Jam style. Yeah. Like it was like the mental, like the mental image I had of what was going on and how it was working. was just like, yeah, man, like the seventies mental health industry. And it's like, (laughs) no, no, this was the nineties. This was like, we knew some stuff at this point in time. This was after, no, it doesn't work though. That doesn't make sense that it's set then. Yeah. And well, and then it doesn't it work transpires. because Malcolm, like Samuel Loomis, is such an unbearable. Like the way he talks to this kid sometimes, I'm like, "What are you doing, man? Like, how, like he's just a kid. Like, what? Uh, yeah. Anyways, yeah, uh, yeah. That 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 whole portion of the movie, like the 49 minute biography movie, I felt it was like a sort of a mistake to lean into this idea that oh, the child we've met is now turning into the familiar Michael Myers we know. Like, yeah. he's starting to wear masks more and more. He start, he stopped talking to people. Yeah. And then by the time we see him as, like, this six-foot-eight monstrosity in 2007, I guess, yeah. uh, he is just now that guy or whatever. It's just like, I kind of wish they didn't play it that way. I wish they just kept... Like, he is this person, and, like, he's taking off the mask, but then you see his face, and he's, like, talking again yep. to Lori or whatever. And then like, you if just they do played hard... it just totally differently. Yeah, and then you just hard cut to him being an adult. Yeah, like, just, just kind of can keep the tone established in the first 49 minutes instead of then be trying to become that movie again, yep. which is seems like a mistake. I guess his original pitch to the Dimension Films what to the weinsteins really bob i guess was why don't we do two movies the first movie is entirely his backstory like it's it's you know him as a kid it's the missing years of michael myers or whatever it's like when he grew up to become this guy and then the second movie is the murder movie yeah like that's the one that that, that's the movie you want to make and they're like no just do both (laughs) in one movie (laughs) kind of thing uh so it feels compromised. I know I it guess. feels compromised, but man, I don't, I think I would have just been, maybe I would have liked that second movie, but that first movie would have been too exhausting for me. All of this still has me curious about the extra stuff from that TV version we've alluded to, like Carpenter's to- retooled version of the first movie for TV. So what they did he is he was yes. saying there was stuff with Donald Pleasance, like with young Michael. Yeah. So what happened know? was. Uh, while they were filming Halloween 2, uh, NBC picked up the rights for Halloween 1, and they're like, okay, well, all, we're all here. Let's film some extra scenes because they've taken out violence. We'll put in some extra scenes. And that at that point, this is why there's this collective – so there's a collective imagination where, like, Laurie has always been Michael's sister. Not from the second movie, yeah. but from the first movie on. And that's because it's extra scenes for the first movie filmed in, when the second movie was being filmed. So it's been incorporated into that first story, but like three years later. Yeah, so. and like they even have like the the scene that Jamie Lee Curtis filmed, she had to wear like a towel over her head because she didn't have anywhere close to the right hair. Okay. So okay. Um, but yeah, no, Michael does. There is a scene where Loomis is talking to Michael in the, and then there's, and then it cuts to a scene where he's talking to the board of directors of the place and saying how he needs to be locked up for the rest of his life because he's pure evil. Sure, yeah, which you get kind of half of that in the original, right? Yes. Where he he keeps kind of saying like looked into his eyes yeah. and there was nothing or whatever, all all that kind of great stuff. Uh 
<laughs> I will say when I first turned this on today, I was kind of like amused that the movie just opens with a quote from a fictional character. Yeah, like when I started reading, it, it was like, oh, is this like, you know, some old philosophy quote about the nature of no, evil or something? And that's just like, no, Dr. Samuel Loomis. Samuel <laughs> I was like, all right. The second sure. movie opens with a quote, too, but it's yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Um, and and to to be like fair to rob he did feel the burden of like this responsibility like he talked to john carpenter about it before he made it you know to get kind of i i don't know his read on like i'm gonna remake a classic of yours i don't know yeah it's like just make it your own there seems to be this there seems to be a mixed reaction to this conversation that happened because rob has alluded at one point that he walked away from that conversation without the blessing of John Carpenter. Okay. Then John Carpenter at the show was like, no, 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 he meant we are fine. I just didn't care. Like, it's not a movie franchise I work on anymore. No, there was a bitterness with him at that point And then time, right? years later, he alluded towards like, oh, I didn't like Rob Zombie's Halloween because I think there needs to be more mystery around Michael and not less mystery around Michael. Sure, but I I guess with at least the notion of like make it your own, it definitely doesn't feel like it's corrupting the same oh, no. stuff to me. No, no, you know, I, like here's the thing, I've just come out of when Halloween Ends came out. I saw so many people post online. I can't handle this, Nathan. When people post this, where they're yeah. like, "My childhood has been effectively ruined," is what they'll say, <laughs> and I'm like, "What do you mean?" Like, I'm a giant, I'm a giant Star Wars fan. You're a giant Star Wars fan. I don't like the sequel trilogy, like the newer, the newest trilogy, but I'm not mm-hmm. going to sit here and be like, somehow this trilogy that happens that I can ignore and not watch somehow yeah. ruined these movies over here that I love and have always loved. I'm trying to think, I haven't really like sat down with those since, like, I don't know if like I see Yoda, I'll start thinking about his lame scenes in Last Jedi I, or something. Me, I don't <laughs> But you know? why does that matter, though? Like, he still exists in front of you as the person. The nature of human memory is just going to corrupt all of it I don't somehow. think so. I don't think that's how it actually works. Those movies exist, especially in the Halloween timeline where it's like there's so many, like, reboot restarts. Like, the newest movie yeah. from 2018 ignores all of them but the first. <laughs> like, literally all of them but the first. And even two is quite liked, right? So yeah. it could that could be a major shot across the bow or whatever for well, and, yeah, fans. And, and then I just again people being like ruined the first one and I'm like, no, because another one will come around and it'll either be another sequel to the first one or reboot the second one or something. Like it'll mm-hmm. it's all of yeah, I don't anyways. So how this Halloween can totally exist and it doesn't affect Michael Myers, my friend, like, he's not saying, like, I'm sitting here and be like, oh, he made Michael Myers worse. I'm just saying I don't like his Michael Myers at all. I th- Yeah, I feel the way it starts off so differently definitely makes it this, like, splinter cannon that's easy oh. to compartmentalize sure. as a, as its own little thing. Yeah. Um, Early, early on, I did kind of like the like it's sort of nonsense how they introduce the mask into the old timeline like this boyfriend just has it and think it's thinks it's kinky or something yeah. which is a little like all right i almost wish they went one step further just like yeah check this out i bought a william shatner mask and i turned it inside out <laughs> Ooh, like they just totally deconstruct I just, it for me the thing that i found crazy okay so another none of the it's not an anachronism but it's a choice they had to make because of a choice they're making later yeah. What what store would you go to to buy a mask that oversized? That mask was massive. 
because it had to fit on Taylor Maine's head, who had a full head of hair and a beard and had to fit over top of all of that. So, of course, (laughs) it's huge, but nobody buys a mask that is like sitting like a garbage bag on top of your head. This is the only one they had. I thought it was fun. Yeah, it hangs (laughs) over everybody. I, I thought the effect, though, was kind of neat on Kid Michael when it looks like there's just, like, a 40-year-old man's head on this tiny little frame. And the way it was, like, lit and shadowed as he's chasing down, like, his older sister was just yeah. weird. It was like... Oh, sure. That looks weird. That's creep. That's kind of good. That's okay. That at least has a thing that's that's working. Yeah. Uh, But... <laughs> I found I found the decision like as soon as Laurie appeared in the movie, I was just like, oh, weird. What? Like, this is Scout Taylor Compton again. Like, here she is again as another character. No, this is this is the only character she plays in the movie. No, no. On on how like on the wiki, it set, it credits her as both characters. Both. What do you mean both characters? She's the older sister and Laurie. No, she's not the older sister. Yeah. She, what? No, I'm telling you, I'm telling you a fact, that's another actor completely. Who's the, like, you're talking about Deborah Myers, Judith Myers, you mean? Who's Angel Myers? Angel Myers is the baby. That is, that is Laurie Strode. Oh, why did they credit her as that then? She because, just changes names? No, because it's a revelation in the franchise. Like, maybe they're referencing, because in the second movie, she's called, she realizes she's Angel Myers from the first movie in the second film. She doesn't know that she's the sister to Michael okay. Myers until the second film. We right. know that. Sorry, I got really thrown that on her credits list she has two names, so I assume she played a full tilt no. Myers so that as baby, a kid. That baby that they have in the opening scenes that Michael's nice to? Yeah. That is Angel Myers, who That's then grows the up to be Deborah adopted. gave that child. Yeah, who gets okay. adopted by the Strode family. And then in the second movie, she it gets revealed to the world that she is Angel Myers. And that's why Michael's obsessed with her. Wait, but doesn't this movie make that expressly clear anyway? Not to That she's her. that kid? To us, they Not do. to her. The parents talk about, everyone knows that she's a Myers, but she doesn't. She gets that picture I hey, this, Nathan, but she doesn't put I it together. I just watched the second movie where she has a mental breakdown at the beginning of the third act. Because Malcolm McDowell releases a book that explicitly says it. And all of her friends are like, you're not the sister of Michael Myers. And then she shows them the evidence while bawling. And she, they're like, oh, man, that's crazy. You're the sister of Michael Myers? Revelation to to Lori. That's the most insane way to play that. Okay, sorry. I honestly thought that the same actor probably played both parts. And that was a weird thing they were doing. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand I what you're credits. saying because yeah. they, they can look similar, right? Is what the key you're talking about? Yeah, I thought I thought they were like trying to pitch this as like okay she grew up to look like her sister that died yeah yeah no and that's all of this was a layer to it that wasn't there apparently that's judith, sorry judith myers is played by hannah hall who's one of the sisters from um the virgin suicides okay okay good and she Great. plays young jenny in force gump all this was leading to me like being kind of annoyed with the decision to like have that actress be topless but not as Lori. Yeah. But then it's like, oh, never mind. So she gets to just stay clothed the whole movie. <laughs> so, like Taylor Compton is yeah. They kind of took regard. they took her final girl status a little too. <sighs> okay, so yeah. the next level that really bugs me about Rob Zombie is like okay, 
is there a problem in slasher films that have obligatory boobs to kind of like titillate your audience, male audience? Sure. Yeah. That's definitely a huge problem in the franchise, in the franchises of all these movies. I, something mm-hmm. I appreciate about David Gordon Green, there's no nudity in all the movies. There's like, there's something that they completely do away with. And I think that's a good thing. I don't have a problem with nudity in general, but there's a historical like notion of like, this is for men and not for women. So there's no male nudity. It's just women being naked. Yeah, it like at at the point where it was basically all of Laurie's friends were topless at some point, it yes. became kind of like, wow, okay, crazy. Like this is this is a decision. This might be some Weinstein in coming in. Or I don't this know. is just Rob really leveling onto this like horror cliche that the final girl lives because she's chased. Maybe, yeah. But yeah. um, okay. You did you watch the unrated or the theatrical cut of this movie? I watched the theatrical cut. It's what Shudder and like Amazon Perfect. have. I'm yeah. so happy you did. I I struggled. I was looking for the theatrical cut wherever I went to rent it to anything. Everywhere out there is like, here's the unrated cut. It's the one I have on, on Plex. But I was like, I know I know, I hate this cut of this movie. I want to go back and watch the theatrical. Kind of like our decision with Friday to like yeah. help ourselves a little bit. But I couldn't movie. find it okay (laughs) and so i ended up watching the unrated and then i read about the differences um so there's a scene in my movie that rob zombie wanted but the weinsteins were like we can't have that in there okay so the scene where the two dudes are gonna go and like rough up michael while he's in the like mental uh the asylum right before he breaks out how does that scene play out for you when michael breaks out okay When Michael breaks out of the asylum, there is this kind of room of guards kind of, you know, chilling and laughing and talking. And then they're going to do this prison transfer on Halloween night. They're kind of joking around about it. And then uh, he breaks the chains off of his arms and just starts roughing up these cops and grabbing shotguns and all this kind of stuff. Want to hear my version? Okay. So two dudes show up. Um, One of them, I think, is Bill Mosley. They're going to go and they're going to grab the new uh, inmate there who's a female and they're going to rape okay. her. I've read about I read about this and I was like, oh, I'm glad that didn't happen. Like, then they but... take her, put her inside Michael's room while they taunt him and then on screen. Like rape her multiple times, both of them. Wow. Oh, wow. And okay. then Michael loses his when they grab their, his masks and start to put them, try to put them on, he gets angry and he starts beating them up and kills them all, including the girl. And then Danny, oh. do you have Danny Trejo in your movie? I have a bunch of Danny Trejo, Trejo in this does movie. Does he kill yeah. Danny Trejo in your movie? He does. Okay. Yeah. So that's when Danny Trejo shows up in my movie while he's in the hallway with all the dead. Because we don't see him kill all the guards like he's, you see. I just see him kill these two dudes. And then when Danny Trejo shows up, there's way more dead people. And then he kills Danny Trejo. But I had this incredibly, like, disgusting scene. And this is something that he does. He has sexual assault scenes in many of his films. Yeah. And I just, I just, I don't want, I don't want that. It's just not, it's not necessary for entertainment purposes. And that's what these movies are, entertainment. Like, they're not. The way I was reading it, it sounded like. Like, it's super, I guess it, it maintains the psychopathy craziness if he also kills the woman who is being victimized. Like, that's pretty crazy. Yes. I thought he saved her from these two orderlies no, when I was no, reading I think it. He kills, I was like, he kills everybody. that's super weird. Like, you're kind of murkying up the, the motivations here. No, he kills if everybody. If he's, like, 
has empathy or whatever but okay um he kills everybody which sure okay i get that because that that seemed to be kind of the purpose of the danny trejo story was like oh he's he's been there since the 90s i guess i've been good to you mikey i've been good to you he's like i know yeah he's been giving him pep talks and stuff as a janitor at night or whatever and then the way they play that like he's kind of like hey i'm i'm retiring a couple months i'm training this new guy and that new guy is a real jerk to Michael. But that's the like, guy. Okay, that's the the guy who's part of this orderly assault. He situation. creates. Yeah, he sets up the situation type of thing. That at least makes sense with that character because he's just like for no reason a total chode in my version, yeah. and then nothing happens. No. But it seemed like maybe it would be a like no no he's right like you should be afraid of this this michael you shouldn't think you're his friend or whatever because he he is incapable well i just think it's hilarious that again (laughs) it's one of those things where clearly rob zombie wrote something and thought it would be good but then when you play it on film that guy intimidating michael even though michael's in chains that guy had to like leap to get to his face like he had to jump up in the air to get anywhere near michael's face he was so small in comparison Oh no, that 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 was the thing even in that scene. It's just like he is huge. He's like 6'8, he's hulking, he has this crazy hair well, covering his whole face. You know it's Sabretooth, right? From the first X-Men movie, Tyler Maine. I read that yeah. and make that makes sense. Yeah, he's <laughs> a, he's a big big person. Uh so it's like no, no, he just is intimidating. Like you're kind of being an idiot if you're in this mental institution poking fun at that guy. Like you're poking yeah. the bear kind Anyways, of thing. But I think it's one of those things yeah. that would work better until he actually hired Tyler Maine and then hired his buddy. And then it was like, oh, this scene doesn't work anymore. It just doesn't work anymore. I fa- I found Trejo's death scene such a weird, like, uh, it's it's too long. Like he dunks him in like four times, yeah, and then he doesn't even drown. He like then crushes him with a TV. Yeah, like it just seemed like, well, what was the point of all that drowning if you're not even gonna him, do it? He's just evil. And that's something. Okay, that's the difference between Robert Rob Zombies. This is small little details. Yeah. But the difference between Rob Zombie's Michael Myers and regular Michael Myers, Michael Myers normally is a one-kill dead person. Like, he kills you, you're dead. This Michael Myers is like, I'm going to hurt you, and I'm going to hurt you, and I'm going to hurt you, and I'm going to yeah. hurt you, and I'm going to hurt you. Right? I feel like that at least played into the torturing animals thing they established. Yes. Like, whenever it happened, it felt like... Oh, okay. At least that framework was established by like Richard Lynch and yep. whatever, like the the principal when he's there with with Loomis in the earlier part. Yeah. Uh, when he's like beating the kid from Spy Kids with that stick, <laughs> yeah. And then he's just kind of letting him apologize and writhe around and bleed and stuff, and then he just keeps hitting him a little bit and stuff like that. And yeah. Takes off his mask and looks at him and all that stuff. That at least felt in character with the character they created. Correct of like he this is the part he enjoys a lot is the the misery of the person he just attacked same with like uh mrs strode or whatever later when he attacks the parents like she's she's allowed to just kind of crawl around the house to the phone before he attacks her again it's it's not it's like evil stuff or whatever this but is, i felt it at least fit with it does what you're right so it, it fits within the framework that rob zombie's creating for this michael myers for this serial killer but it's not like there's a level of entertainment to a slasher film yeah that this movie lacks because that's just not like that's not what we're here for we're not here for people suffering and painfully dying and not even painfully dying because so so i watched again i watched halloween 2 and danielle harris survives this movie okay 
And then in the next movie, she there's a scene where he plays it artfully, quote unquote artfully, where he's attacking her while her father's discovering her body. And it's like in the she's lying naked on the floor, covered in blood. The entire bathroom is covered in blood, demonstrating that once again, he completely just just completely tortured her. And I'm just sitting here being like, what what is this movie? Why are we just what are why are we? It's that that argument that Mike Michael Haneke makes in Funny Games. Like, yeah, we watch this. And even though this is fiction, we're allowing these terrible, evil things happening to these fictional characters by just watching this. And that's where Rob Zombie sits in my brain of like, oh, I don't want to watch his stuff because I don't want this fiction to go into the world any more than it needs to. Man, that that's a that's a real shame hearing that because I've forgotten most of that movie. I remember. like, OK, little little side story. Weird Al has a cameo in that movie. Yeah, he does. And when I found that out, I was like, dude, awesome. UHF 2 in theaters right now. Ryan, let's go watch Halloween 2. And you're like, oh, oh all right. We went it was the in the cheaps though. at this point. Yeah, it was We'd already like waited and missed its run and yeah. everything. You had no intention of seeing it. And I was like, dude, Weird Al, this is going to be great. It's going to be so funny. And then we went and watched it, and you wanted to, like, 20-minute rule it, 50-minute rule it. You just want to leave. I was like, no, Weird Al hasn't appeared yet. Like, his little appearance in this movie is going to make this a good movie. And it didn't, because it's so miserable the whole time. I mostly just remember there's a scene in, like, a honky-tonk or something where there's just this, like, beaten, bloody, pulpy mess. And Rob Zombie just keeps showing you it and keeps showing you it and, like, shows you something else and then shows you it again. And it's just like, is this supposed to be getting scarier? Like, the third time I see it, it's just kind of gross. Like, this isn't anything. So I, I was quite upset with that movie. I did give that movie a two. Uh, so I figured it was half as good as this one at that point in time. Yeah. It, it just, but, for me, like, I like, so I like Danielle Harris. I I, I liked it. That, that's where I was going is I was so happy her character lived through this movie because she had such a horrible time. Yes. And then they leave that house. And I was like, oh, good. Brad Dourif gets to save his daughter. And at least that happens. And then he discovers her in the second movie. That's terrible. And it's painful. Like, it's actually watching Brett. Brett does a great job. He's great in both of these movies. Um, oh, man. But he, it's watching his face as he's looking at his, like, and she's naked again. And I'm just like, this is unnecessary. Like, I like, like, I, I'm i late to the Thorn trilogy where she plays Jamie Lloyd in 4 and 5. So I'm late to those movies. I watched them okay. for the first time, like, a year and a half ago. Um, but I like, I like her as Jamie Lloyd. She's great. And... She's think also that this one is of the, the Thornberries she... in that cartoon. <laughs> yeah. This is the legacy yeah. that she wanted for herself. It makes me sad because she she totally signed up for this role, so I can't fault her for picking yeah. these movies. But it just makes me sad because it's just it's content that I really just I don't think people need to watch. And Rob creates content that I think the world could just just it wouldn't it would be better without it. So uh, I I still I think I choose to to like her and her character and like she wanted to pivot sort of like uh, Michelle Trachtenberg last time or whatever. Like some of these actresses want to pivot yes. to something else. And she was like a kid performer for a long time. It's like I need to like prove to agents and stuff that I'm an adult now and I can do different stuff. And to all accounts, she's still, like, in this genre a lot. She's in, like, some of the Hatchet movies. Yes. And, like, continues in horror films to this day. So I don't think that would have happened if she wasn't willing to do this. So yeah. I'm okay with it overall. But well, and they were very this clear. character had such a miserable time. Yeah. And this is the, the 
the last friend of Lori's that is also topless and in this this situation. Yeah. Uh, but I yeah I, I actually that makes the second movie sound more reprehensible. I guess is that they decide to kill that little wrinkle of silver that was in the lining here. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's and that's where for me that she was so not present in the second movie because the way that Lori's life is going. She's leaving behind her old friends and going forward with her new metal, death metal friends, like Rob Zombie okay. type friends. Um, so the fact that they just mm. also just have Michael show up to vindictively kill her. Because she doesn't even come across. He comes to her house and hunts her down. Which I'm like, that also doesn't make sense to Michael Meyer. Because he's just kind of like whoever's in his path type of person. But like he he like put, goes out of his way to go and do this in the second movie. And so for huh. me, I mean, this is what I'm trying to say. Like, I know this this isn't present in this movie, but they're so deeply connected in the fabrics of my brain. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's a narrative just like she sort of like there's a scene where the three of them are walking down the street and Michael's kind of creeping on him. Yes. And they, the friends kind of yell and taunt at him and insult him. Well, so the okay, notion so that he about... would hang on to that grudge no, is sort of weird. So the first yeah. scene where he is kills the first friend. They're in Michael's old house, and he goes back for his mask. Yeah, yeah. Then the, the second scene, that, yeah. he's going looking for Lori, and he thinks Lori is at her house, not because at... of the babysitting yes. switching. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why he comes across the other friend, and then he goes and finds Lori. So no matter what, he's looking for his mask, and then he's looking for Lori. These are people, his friends, her friends that just. Yeah, like way. the Strodes even, like she had just left the house and he shows up moments later and happens to kill them looking for Lori yes. kind of thing. So this yeah. is what I mean. But then the second movie, they make him a little bit more of like a, a serial killer and that there's an intention that he's out to kill like the main characters. But it doesn't make sense because Danielle's not part of like this story, this friend group. So she's killed kind of off screen, kind of when this weird sequence Lori's nowhere around, and yeah, yeah I think the just argument like is that Lori's living decision. there, so he was looking yeah. for Lori, but then he, he was just like, well, I'm here anyways, I might as well kill somebody, so. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, that sucks. So, yeah, okay. just getting at this whole thing, for me, like, his sex and nudity mix in with violence and mix in with, because even just the nudity of, of, of Danielle Harris's stuff, it's like, I get what you're saying, and I get what she agreed to. I just felt like, again, like, the sex and violence in his films, like, this is just the tip of the iceberg because Devil's Rejects is, like, so much deeper. Um, Like, you, you saw it, The Hills Have Eyes, right? That Alexander Jaw remake? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that, yeah. That Devil's Rejects is, like, is like that, but, like, without the mutant storyline. It's just, like, cynical people. It's, like, it's natural-born killers without the parody levels to it. It's just... People right, it's evil. just this bad crew of people roaming around committing horrible crimes for right? no reason other like, than it just gets them happy. Like it's sure, so. yeah. It, if anything, it, yeah, it does sound kind of like those early Cravens or whatever Last House on the Left and yeah. stuff. Like there's just sa- sadists doing sadist stuff yeah. as they wander about. Yeah. So yeah, which so, isn't really my kind of horror, I guess. <laughs> so yeah. No. So anyways, so, th- th- this is just it's it might not be as egregious in this movie other than. In the unrated version, which I saw, has the sexual assault scenes. Um, yeah. But, like, I just... It's always ever-present in his stuff. And it's different because, like... As much as I also don't like... Uh, 
Friday the 13th's like nudity because it's just pure titillation. It's always there and it's too much of it. Yeah. This is also titillation, but like with a violent tint. And like, I know that that's a thing for some people and I don't like that either for myself. I, w- I was trying to think through it because like it's these young actors kind of like goofing around and being kind of horny teens or whatever, but they're all women. Yeah. Like there's kind of joking things thrown at Lori and stuff. Even her first scene in the movie, she's like holding bagels up over her breasts and yeah. saying <laughs> goofy things to her mother to make her upset or whatever. Yeah. She's like, like, she, yeah. She talks about coming. Um, yeah. And somebody like, online like, pointed out there's that a fun is... happening with these characters, but then because it's in this horror movie it all has this sort of like old testament wrath thing coming in the form of michael which seems crazy because it's just like like there was almost fun banter between the three friends like just kind of you need to get a date Lori, and like bothering her and she's laughing and they're all having fun and like the the first friend that gets killed kind of after her sex session phones Lori and be like i'm not I'm not a slut, right? Like, I'm a good person. <laughs> like, there's just this kind of, like, okay. It's sort of like this, like, Sex in the City vibe to some of it. Oh, sure. But then there's I, horrible killing in it. So I do it appreciate the it, friendship you know? angle. But for me, I got that in 2018's Halloween because there's some scenes where these friends are hanging out. And I like their banter. And they feel like they're actual, like, lifelong friends. So I got yeah. that, too. But without the over-sexualization of teenagers. Because that's what he's also or, or there's a little bit of a like a tragedy to it. Because yeah, there's like a couple that's having sex and having fun, sort of like this beer couple in this this movie. Yeah, but you just feel bad that they get murdered completely. It's not. Yes. it's not like a dark joke or anything. No, it's just in, a tragic. In, in, in thing. 2018, yeah. are you talking about 2018's movie? I'm talking about 2018. Yeah, in 2018, that movie, kind of weed smoking. They couple. don't even. Yeah, they don't even have sex. They're just about to hook up. And I like them. Like they don't they don't play into this like morality police character that Michael Myers is. He's not that person. He's just killing at random. And yeah. there's these teens and they're just like, Oh, I just like them. And they they're doing the right thing. Like they're trying to protect the kid, they're trying to protect each other, and Michael kills they're babysitters. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas is like the people that even, are typically- even the two kids in here, like Tommy and I forget the little girl's name, they kind of are having some fun jokes with Lori at some point yes. early on. Like the they're constantly bothering her about her being afraid of the boogeyman yeah. or whatever. Like there was some okay actors just having a good rapport and yep. doing stuff. And I guess the second movie sounds like it loses touch with its compass completely. <laughs> this one at least felt like it was sort of fun sometimes. Even those guards that I was talking about in my version, yeah. like my cut of the movie, it was like, oh, these old co- co-workers just goofing around. They don't know that they're in a horror movie and it's going to get real bad. Did you get the scene where they're... Oh, is that the second movie? Oh, it's the second movie, yeah. Okay. Sorry. There's a scene I, where I Michael haven't escapes. seen that scene in 13 years then, okay. so I don't There's know. a scene in the, where, again, like these two ambulance drivers are talking about and they're joking about necrophilia and how girls that are even their dead are still hot because they got boobies. Oh, and I was like, yeah. oh, this is humor to this is humor to somebody. Michael Bay. He's loving it. He does which is weird. Do he didn't that produce joke. this movie. He does yeah. that joke, and it's honestly the worst joke in those movies. Like it's so It's a real trashy joke, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyways, and then here we are doing it, but yeah. Anyways. We're, yeah, like where's here what's what's the kid's name? What's the uh spy kids kid because he's being very taunting in a bullying way like he's talking about sex he's talking about his mom being a stripper and stuff his and kind of needling is wesley him. rhodes yeah in the movie 
like that stuff rang true as like real bullying you know like to like kind of an uncomfortable introverted kid that michael is that felt like but for every yeah that would be really frustrating and that's the thing like for those scenes i get like i get you're saying that kid bullied him and he actually is doing good bullying like a good version of bullying that exists in real life but then you have this over the top like home scene that is the opening scene of the movie essentially and yeah, you yeah. get like William Forsythe just being a clown, like not even acting in a menacing way, just saying absolutely putrid things, but like in a way that I don't believe a hu- this human being actually exists as a person. Mm-hmm. Like I'm almost happy. Well, I, I mean, I'd dies. almost put it on the same spectrum as our like Karen Carnival or like uh, Ronnie Dangerfield and MBK, yeah, or whatever. Like just abusive to the point of absurdity. And Deborah Myers is like cooking breakfast and like kind of yelling at him, but it's just this like dysfunction to the point of insanity kind of to thing, insanity, you know? but it's like but not in the type of way that you like you said in Natural Born Killers, where it's going for a thing. This just seems mm-hmm. to be him trying to paint a picture of what life looks like in this house, and it's like oh, but this is this is silly. Like this, nobody here is a real person, mm. right? And I was the okay. one the one character I was kind of like feeling okay about in that situation was deborah myers like the single mom mostly after the night of the massacre like that kind of window of time where she's still supporting michael and yeah coming back and seeing him and stuff like that yeah and then kind of the when he murders that nurse and she finally sees that part of it yeah then then she's kind of driven over the edge or whatever I didn't really know that was her. Like, I didn't. I haven't seen Sherry Moon Zombie oh, okay. and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's so Sherry I was kind of just like, "Who's this actor?" And it's like, "Oh, it's it's oh, okay, weird. I didn't know she was in this." Like, she's it was in every single one of his movies. Period. Makes Hard sense. Stuff. Yeah. Um, I also was. I again wasn't really clear on what was going on. I thought I thought the bully had like an old thing of like, "Yeah, your mom used to be a stripper," but it's just like, "No, no, no she, this is a current ad." Is a stripper. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, again, even what the Wesley was wearing had, like, 70s vibes to it. Total 70s vibes to all of it. Yeah. Like, this movie felt like it was, like, wanting to be that time frame. But but, but then it, didn't it, want to set it in the 90s and then therefore have to worry about extras. A period piece, like, vehicles yeah. and They everything. only want to have one setting in the past that they have to worry about costuming for. But even minor choices, like the van that couple has, like full of the cooler of beer and everything, yeah. that could have been 1983 or whatever. Yeah. Like that looked old, yeah. but it's just not. <laughs> it's 2007, apparently. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just, I don't know. I'm not sure it would be like automatically way better if it was the 70s and then the 90s, but at least would have looked visually consistent sure. in a way that worked. But I don't know. Uh, yeah uh i'm trying to think have we what What would even okay whatever yeah we're not michael going, michael's on a murder really a story big, i mean to be fair if you've seen a halloween movie this movie follows the structure we kind of just the second the half structure loosely in that like for 50 minutes we're getting to know michael for 50 minutes he's hunting people and then for about 10 minutes him and his sister are making up yeah, there, there's this moment where, like, uh, Loomis comes to the rescue, shoots Michael a couple times outside in this pool, and then it seems like it's over, and then Michael's back and breaks through the window and grabs Laurie and runs off after, and I guess Loomis chases him, and then you get that head crush that apparently didn't kill him, yeah. <laughs> as it turns out. 
Uh, and then, yeah, you get you get kind of this final battle, I think, again, in the old Myers place, right? Yes. This is in the old house. Yep. And she is presented with this picture of little kid Michael and her as a baby, and she just doesn't know what to make of it. Yeah. Uh, that actually, I think that happened prior to the pool chase, honestly, now that I'm thinking through it. The baby picture gets presented? I think so. Yeah, potentially. He, he brings her back. Because she and does this where thing he... where she stabs him yeah. in the neck and tries to run away. Man, I felt like I was trying to remember the first movie, like how much just crying and screaming is Jamie Lee Curtis doing? Not is at it all. a lot? Okay. Like, this is the one scene where she's screaming is when is the closet scene and he's waving his okay. arm around and stuff like that. Okay. You nailed the head for me on why I love this franchise. It's also it's yeah. Michael Myers as much as it is Jamie Lee Curtis too. Yeah, no, there, there's definitely a strength to Laurie that isn't here this time, and I don't fault, like, uh, Taylor Compton. No. I think she's just directed to be this kind of puddle of a mess at the, at the end. Yep. Like, she'll, like, break through a door and then immediately just start crying and flailing against the next one. And it's like, what are you, what? What are you doing? Like, just, just get it together just a little bit sure. and break out of here yep. a little more effectively. Like it's just she just starts falling over herself over. And yeah, over she falls again. into the trope of like she's running and stumbles because she's crying so hard or something like that. And traumatic stuff is happening around it, but she doesn't like ever ring as like the same strength of character or whatever I remember vaguely from those movies. But even know, with... even beyond that, Jamie Lee Curtis like because she's revisited her character now twice, right? Like she did the first two films, survived Michael. Yeah. And then she revisited in H2O and then revisited in this new trilogy. And, like, she brings a life to these movies where you need a presence that isn't Sam Loomis. Because I like Sam Loomis, but Dr. Sam Loomis isn't the same presence opposite Michael. Because you need a pursuer and a pursuit person. Mm-hmm. And Jamie mm-hmm. Lee, when she, like, turns around and refuses to be pursued anymore... Because Loomis is always pursuing Michael, but Michael doesn't care at all about Loomis. Like, he's like, you can pursue me all you want. I don't matter. He's pursuing, like, Laurie, and then when Laurie turns around and, and like, doesn't stand stands her ground, that's something that these movies completely miss out on. Especially the second yeah, one. Yeah, you don't get that strength from the opposite side at all. Sure. It's just helpless victims running around, panicking. Well, in, in the and... face of, like, an, un, an unstoppable force, and it's like... Well, yeah, but what if like the the question isn't like it, the question is what is what what happens when an unstoppable force meets an unmovable object and like Michael Myers is the unstoppable force and Laurie Strode is the immovable object. Like she's been building up her strength to become that yeah. or whatever. Whereas yeah, th- th- this just felt like like especially in this grounded take on it, it's just like I'm not getting the same unstoppable vibe from him. It's just like just, just you know, he's big, but you could kill him. You could probably kill him. Like, this movie kind of had to buff him up with... Okay. I like this actor, Ken Forey. He plays uh, Big Grizzly Joe. He's this truck driver <laughs> yeah. in this movie. Uh, you may remember him as, like, the dude that survives Dawn of the Dead, or he's in From Beyond. He's kind of a horror dude. Yeah. Uh, he he is introduced basically just to show how tough Michael is. Because <laughs> yeah. he's a big, tall person. And he gets in this fight with Michael and gets bested. Yeah. You know, like he gets slammed against this side of this uh, stall in the bathroom and then stabbed or whatever. Uh, 
so you get that he's like formidable for sure but this is still a human being we're talking about so when he started taking bullets and getting stabbed in the neck and stuff i was just like what is, what yeah what is happening and this like is, why is this working in this whereas this like the, the nick castle version of it in the original film of the shape he, yeah he, it, they're clearly going for an inhuman figure right like they're not going for a person yeah they're going but for you've a- seen too much of the transformation in this movie so it's just like I just I remember that little kid from the beginning. Yeah. Like just I, shoot I him, shoot him in the head, and he'll be dead. Whereas, yeah, even the gun store guy, who's apparently a drummer from the Monkees, <laughs> yes, uh, he, yes. <laughs> yeah, he says like, "Oh, you, yeah, if you want to piss it off, shoot it with a twenty-two. If you want to blow its head off, yeah, this thing right no, here, three fifty-seven Magnum, weirdest cameo in this movie." Uh, I was like, yeah. as I was watching, I was like, "Wait, isn't that the guy from the Monkees?" Like. <laughs> Yep. People aren't going to be messing around with him? Is that what the thing? There's a bunch of little, like, fun players like that. Like, Udo Kier's in this movie, yeah, but, like, for, for no scene. reason. And most of his stuff got cut, apparently. Yeah, apparently. And I get, was Sid Haig the, fair, the grave guy? Uh, Udo is this type of guy who often just shows up in one scene in bigger movies, but he's a horror guy. Yeah. Sorry. Who, I guess so. Sid Haig. Sid Haig. Where was he? Was he was the, he the um, grave guy? Creep, 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 the, the, oh, man. Gravedigger? Yeah, the gravedigger who goes and like, oh, stupid kids stole that. Like, I kind of thought it was him. Yeah, but yeah, okay. So the the tombstone was stolen, which I guess was cut the actual theft, but it shows up later. Yeah. Uh, but okay, okay. Um, it was uh, oh, it was Clint Howard was also the other big one. Clint Howard was Copplinson or yeah. whatever, like the other doctor who was just I, like, I yeah, we'll just ba- bury this. It's notice. fine. Don't worry about it. We'll just ignore what happened. It's like, wait, what? Can't. No, we got to tell people that this crazy person escaped. Yeah. We know where he's going. He's going to Haddonfield. Yeah. It's like, no, you don't know that. Yeah, you're guessing. probably fine. Wild, wildly guessing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He fills us with a lot of uh, like that's the that's the other part of this like him going for that '70s grindhouse aesthetic because that's who he works with. He works with the actors like Sid Haig had a career in the '70s. I know. Yeah, I've, I've started to see him in films that are on MST3K because <laughs> they're not great. Yeah. Uh, but yes, he he was around in, in those films from the 70s. And I don't know, like, I love his enthusiasm, I guess. It's just a lot of the stuff isn't really translating to fun on this end. I don't think he's quite like hates the audience intensely the way you said with this one in this first movie. Sure. In this first movie only. Yeah. The theatrical cut on of this own. first movie. Okay, the theatrical cut. Not a lot cut. of hate. But it's soaked the thing. in that. That is, yeah. it is the unrated director's cut is what it's actually called yeah no i i was puzzled at some of the assertions in the trivia i was like this hour is two two hours and one minute i was like no it's not it's like 109 minutes what do you oh there's another cut that i didn't see the the weinsteins went in favor of like we can't show that that's crazy yeah that that's a little that's definitely different than our glenn morgan conversation where it's like i don't want to have that horrible thing happen in my movie this is like i want to put this real horrible thing in my movie no no we need to sell this. Yeah. That's awful. But I think they're in their brain. They think like incest is too ridiculous, whereas sexual assault isn't. Yeah, yeah. And the way that they're doing incest, I mean, was they silly. both are assault. To be fair, really. one is, but like, like, what Glenn Morgan, he was doing a more cartoony version of all this stuff versus Rob Zombie, who likes to do more of like, oh, that that looks real. Unfortunately, gritty. So, yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. I just want to talk about this guy really quick. I mean, I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen Richard Lynch in anything. 
<laughs> yeah, okay. But when I saw him in this movie, I was like, who is this ghoul? <laughs> no, I was like, is he an old man wearing old man makeup? Because he looks crazy. Like, his face is too wrinkled. And he's like 67 or something. Wrinkled, but too smoothed out. Like, he had gone and done too many. It's like a mixture of he got too many facelifts with mixed with he suntanned for too many times without putting lotion on. It, like, tightened up on him or it something. Tightened. He definitely looks really weird. Yeah. And, and I just found him to be, this principal was like, wait, what? Who is this person? And then to find out that he was, like, a big 70s and 80s B actor. um, And I was just like, I, this guy is, this right here terrifies me. But mm-hmm. anyways. Oh, I was in a TNG episode. But yeah, okay. Mostly TV stuff I'm seeing here. Sword and no, the Sword. No, he definitely looked strange. He was in, in the, the Sword. Movie. What's that movie? It's uh like a sword and sorcery film the sword and the sorcerer that's what it's called <laughs> <laughs> that's literally what's that's why they're called that because of this yeah he's movie. like it was like a conan the barbarian pre-conan movie that was big okay. i remember the poster seeing the poster all the time when i was a kid because it was from that guy that famous artist who did like like really stylized human bodies but like in that just chiseled yeah like he did all the tarzan cover books like he, yeah okay yeah Anyways, he's great. No, he's definitely populated it with like people from that era and it has a certain like flavor to it or something that I was okay with. It was just it's most yeah, it's mostly that sequel kind of cashes in all the chips in a way that sounds awful. So I'll never look at that again. Sure. Yeah. Uh, despite Weird Al's presence cuz I sure like that guy, but yeah. oh well. Uh, um yeah. They they kind of tease around with the the like oh Loomis is just a profiteer or whatever with like Brad Dourif being upset about that book. Yeah. Like, it's just like, oh yeah, you're just, you know, all the blood of this town spilt. You're sure making a pretty penny or whatever. And it's just like, okay, I guess. Yeah. That's part of the story, but it, it didn't really linger. Like he kind of has to sell Brad Dourif on like bad things are happening. Bad things are going to happen <laughs> like for a beat longer than I wanted. Like, especially the 10 minute drive to the scene of the crime when they're already on their way yeah but that's not a far cry from the original uh sheriff bracket like they were already driving to the scene and they get the call well doesn't he burst in and loomis just like makes he's a pretty animated person and they're like come on what what are you talking about an escaped escaped killer come on yeah that's that's crazy yeah, um, okay. yeah i think that's just that's just kind of like they're trying to give lee bracket like a not in my small town type of thing all right so aside from me totally misunderstanding uh that casting thing with uh laurie being two people <laughs> which didn't happen uh i mostly understood what was going on a lot of that was that was feeding some of my my thoughts during it, so it's weird to have that pulled out from under me. But oh well, uh, MVP time. Yeah. for this one. Yeah, you go first because I did the summary. Okay, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the runner up thing. Okay, I'm gonna runner up is Rob Zombie as the music supervisor. Oh, okay. Role because he put uh, Tom Sawyer in this movie, and that's a beloved Canadian heartstring you can pluck right there. Yep. Uh, it annoyed my wife too, but I thought that was funny. She doesn't like. Uh, she, she doesn't like. She does not like Getty's singing voice. Oh so. yeah, a lot of that's what I hear from a lot of people. Like when they hate Rush, it's like, 
Oh, I don't like that nasally giddily. I'm like, oh, but I love that. Just that screechy like, banshee they give hired. Me, give, like... me a, give me a karaoke night and I'll sing a Rush song because I can like, I'll get into that. Like, just let it crack a little even. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, so that, and I actually really liked the uh, version they recorded of uh, Mr. Sandman for this. Oh, yeah, it yeah, was, the Mr. Sandman. It was newly made for this version. It's like Tyler Bates produced it, and it's this Canadian singer. Yeah. Uh, what's her name? It kind of came Give last, right? But it ended with uh, Don't Fear the Reaper, right? Is what the last song was over the credits? There, there's a bunch. Like, I think this version comes back into the later part of the credits, so that's why it was fresh Mr. in my Mr. Sandman oh, uh, per- performed by Nan Vernon. Nan Vernon, yeah. Uh, it it was just a kind of like I don't know if you didn't know it was part of a horror movie recording you'd quite get the vibe but it's a little weird it's just slightly off it was kind of neat sure uh so the music stuff I kind of liked and again further cemented it in the completely wrong period from when it actually is <laughs> well, well, I think the movie starts off <laughs> yeah. with a kiss song and a don't fear the reaper song which you Blue made Oyster cult is in there yeah that's what yeah. I mean like you made references in the past of like not liking movies because it was like, oh, it's Vietnam, and then they play like, like, like this, CCR. This song wasn't even out. This, this you played <laughs> they CCR, hadn't even recorded this. and it was what was the movie? It was the post, right? Where you got it was so the post grumpy. opened with like a very obvious I felt credence song. Yeah, and then reading later, it was like, no, the point of time they talk about in this movie, that song hadn't even been made yet. But it was like what well, people what thought about when they thought of Vietnam was was CCR. So yeah, yeah, it's it's that kind of thing, but. If it was set, then it would have been a perfect thing. So maybe he would have taken the top. But anyways, round. this movie does that too. It just does it in the opposite way. Like the movie, the songs exist, but nobody in the '90s cares about Kiss or yeah. It's hard to imagine like a cult. you know outsider introvert kid getting way into Kiss in the '90s. Maybe because his mom <laughs> was from like a Kiss kid, probably. Yeah, I guess you could see it. There's a way it works. It's it doesn't yeah, it doesn't like break time. It's not a total like a paradox or anything. It's like, no no, all these songs existed. You could listen to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on your iPod or whatever, but it just seems a bit out of Discman. place, but whatever. Could have been Discman or Walkman for these kids, but yeah. Okay. Like it's a minor maybe it's a minor award. I don't wanna like say it's it's an incredible thing but because sherry moon snuck in there and i didn't know she wasn't an actor in the traditional sense like i was just like who's this lady playing his mom she's doing okay and it's like oh wow it's the cameo really it's the glorified nepotistic cameo of well, him cameo, putting his life she's in the movie the main star of most of his film main character and yeah he finds a way she's in the second movie that's crazy flashbacks no or ghosts 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 amazing uh although that second movie sounds like a misery i i think i find something really sweet about their relationship too like robin just loves his wife and keeps putting her in stuff sure i mean like i get why it's happening she's you know she's um living dead girl right yeah no that makes sense (laughs) like from the music video you mean yeah yeah girl like Something about all this, like, despite all the mean things we're saying about how creepy and awful some of these creative decisions were, I kind of get, like, a really positive, fun vibe from Rob Zombie in real life, like, behind <laughs> sure. the makeup and stuff. Yeah. Like, he's sort of like that Alice Cooper kind of thing, well, where it's like... I haven't seen I haven't seen this new Monsters movie that he made. 
Yeah. But it's like a PG family friendly film. But that doesn't break my mind no. quite the same way as Eli Roth doing that like Jack Black comedy yeah, or whatever. The, the clock and stuff walls. like that. No, and that's what everyone's yeah. saying. It's like, oh, it's like he always chose to be the R-rated Tim Burton, but he does know how to be the PG Tim Burton. Yeah. And like with his music videos like the dragula or whatever all this stuff he just looks like he really grew up watching the monsters and am's family and like bad movies and just thinks they're really fun yeah it's just somehow when he's put in charge of like these creative decisions he makes really dark decisions yeah and i i don't love all of that uh but yeah sherry moon i thought was actually pretty good i don't know that you needed her stripping in it for that one montage or whatever of like things at home versus her at work or whatever but he loves her and thinks she's hot and puts her in things it's sort of sweet i don't know this is what he does Uh, and then yeah her just be like again in my brain like it's tough being a single mom in the 70s (laughs) (laughs) is sort of the thing going on here uh but it's not it's it's 1993 at at latest so it's a lot easier being a single mom it should be yeah there should be supports in place for that but still i found something fun about her character they do do this thing though i guess she's the only character in the franchise history that like succumbs to suicide yeah like she after she sees that he is a murderer uh she just falls apart uh in this sort of weird like watching again like eight millimeter video of her son like the time stuff this movie even ends with that stuff yes like they have kid michael like smashing toys or something on his front lawn but it looks like somebody feels like a super eight eight millimeter yeah Yeah. rather than a camcorder which we would have had a vhs camcorder yeah if it had leaned into like an 80s camcorder aesthetic then it would have like timed out better yeah but instead, it, it goes for this weird, oh, they're just technologically behind. That's just the Myers. They're just so weird. They love old stuff. <laughs> they love old stuff. <laughs> so. Um, okay, so your, sorry, your MVP is Sherry Moon Zombie. Sherry Moon Zombie and then sort of uh, the zombies for this first movie and the music and stuff. Okay. I kind of like that stuff. Okay, okay. So, yeah. Uh, so mine was, as you could probably guess, a, a struggle to find one. Um, I mean, I was even thinking partway through this movie, it's like, hey, worst case, I can always go Neil Peart or something because he did do this song. <laughs> he did do this song unrelated to this movie, but Rob Zombie did pick it. Um, he did. So mine mine comes down to a pretty simple one in that I really like this actor and his actors in this movie being themselves. So Brad Dourif is my MVP. Yeah. I just like I, I love Brad Dourif, yeah. but he barely gets to real shine. I here, know. You know. Yeah. He is actually better in the second movie. That's the one shining light I'll give the second movie. He's more to do. Given more. But okay. um I like Sheriff Brackett. I've always liked Sheriff Brackett as a character. Like it's just a fun foil for like Loomis. But then he figures out anyways, Brad Brad Dourif just like clearly was like skip the 
makeup chair that like every day he came on to set. He was like, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll take care He's of myself. He's kind of got a bit of a handlebar going on <laughs> when he and first the long, shows up. long, hair and the... And then the, the friends are making fun of him. One of them is just like, yeah, I don't want to ride in the bacon mobile <laughs> with you, pig. <laughs> Why is she doing that? But then he just kind of takes his like, <laughs> all right. Like he's just having yeah. an oak. He's he just lets it roll off or whatever. But um, yeah. But it's just, I just like Brad Dourif. So it's just nice to have him on the screen. Even if it's on the screen, I don't want to watch. So he made sure. it a little easier for the scenes he was in. Um, yeah, it's definitely populated with people I kind of like, but they don't really get to blow it away or anything. Yeah, even yeah. like, because I was going to, like, I was thinking about Danny Trejo, because I was like, oh, this is nice, because it's like, not a, it's against type for Trejo. He's like, playing kind of like, oh, I'm just like a kindly old man who takes care of this kid. And then I, I've, I've been through some tough times, you know, yeah. I can. <laughs> and then I die horribly, because I totally misunderstood our relationship. So. Oh, it, it was such a weird yeah it was a weird scene it was like whenever it cut away from like the oh what is what is the huey lewis in the news shot of like the water and your faces in it mm-hmm. you know like want a new drug or whatever whenever it cuts away from that it's like crazy music is playing yeah. and like the camera's shaking and everything and then it just goes back underwater and it's not like that for a bit well because the wa- then, camera's underwater so you can't hear things underwater. so there's no sound yeah yeah that's no. why it was it was kind of a miserable death. It was an unpleasant scene. Yeah, it was. yeah. Anyways, cool. MVP, Halloween's in the bag. We'll talk about it one more time next week, but we're done for today. We're done for today. It's now question time. Uh I I have one this week, and then you a while ago said you wanted to ask the last question of the badge. Do you still have that one written somewhere? Yeah, but is that isn't that the finale? Like isn't that the ranking is the, don't we have questions yeah 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 so I, I just wanted to one. make sure okay um that i'm not stepping ahead or anything okay what is a canceled project that you most wish happened oh jeez you have to start telling me these things in advance because then i feel this like it's almost always... hard for me to even think of with time to prepare but here's the thing but i have i have stuff i just i always freeze off the top of my head well, we can wait a little while and edit it down. But oh, yeah, the thing right. is, is like I feel you're more tuned into some of this like stuff. Canceled. Some of these only came across my radar because you told me about them. Yeah. And then I got all excited, and it's like, no, it didn't happen. It didn't pan out. Well, I mean, sometimes it's sequels to mo- shows, right? Like, like a, a a movie that was being written and then never actually happened. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like just a screenplay that's been kicking around. Yeah. Somebody was or? like, hey, let's let's get a screenplay ready, and then uh it just didn't go anywhere type of thing didn't congeal so like right now face off 2 is being worked on but i really doubt that it's going to get made or like nick cave's gladiator 2 where it's like <sighs> time travel and whatever yeah was crazy going on. like well he becomes an immortal being and then he becomes a god or something well no but they, it's a, he becomes an immortal being and then he ends up in the u.s senate during the election steal of the year 2000 what a gloriously nutty idea well, and, that is. and Ridley Scott even talked about how great that script was, but he's like, I could never make this movie, but it was like, a good script. no way it. to sell this <laughs> to a producer and make this come to be. Yeah. Oh, okay. I do have something. So okay. I'm, I'm locked and loaded. Do you have something? Well, I don't want to accidentally say your something, so maybe you... Okay, so my something yours. is... So before Prometheus came out... Oh, okay. Ridley Scott was like, hey, I'm going to make five alien movies 
that are going to lead up to Alien. And I was like, you know what, Ridley? I'm 100% on board. Like This I'm quadrilogy there. exists. I'm doing a quintrilogy. It's going to be awesome. I'm there. Okay, then Prometheus yeah. came out, and I was like, oof, all right, maybe. All right, this is good. I like it. It's beautiful. you definitely ambitious. It's got some flaws. I feel like when Prometheus came out, that was the first time I was in E3, and it was kind of fun being in L.A., seeing, like, big billboards with just that face on yeah. it, like the monolithic yeah. face, and it's just like, Prometheus. Like, there's, like, a big promotional push yeah. to get people hype on this not named alien it's not like alien colon prometheus which is what it should have been called i think he regrets that now um so but i was there i was there i loved it i had a good time then it didn't do that well so they changed plans and they said okay no longer is it a five movie thing now it's a three movie thing and And here's less money (laughs) he made alien covenant and yes he might have hop skipped a few steps to get to the third movie instead of the second. But I really like Alien Covenant. Like, it's a fun movie. I just watched it again with my wife in the Halloween season. and It keeps coming up for us a little bit. It's it's secretly a favorite around here. I think it was the subject of its own question. It was period. the subject of its own question. I, I like the Xenomorphs. I like the body horror. I like the early Xenomorphs and the late ones. I like David and, and Walter. I like all of it. Anyways. And then that movie did less good than Prometheus. <laughs> And it was already and, a and small budget. And it cost budget. less money. So, and yeah. so it made its money back and then some. But it wasn't like the astounding numbers they want. So it's that cold feet thing. With and so now right? there's this like nexus zone where on, you go on IMDb and there's still this untitled alien prequel connected to Ridley Scott directing. That's happening mm, in the books. Yeah. But then there's also this uh, Noah Hawley alien TV show for Hulu, FX on Hulu. And it's separate. Like it takes place more on Earth side of things, not connected to Ridley Scott, what he's doing. Okay. It's post, I think, Alien. But I'm like nervous that it's like if that's a success, they're going to be like, oh, cool. Like Predator, we're going to move Alien to streaming and i don't get to see any more alien films on the big screen and mainly i don't get to see ridley's last movie finish out with david going off of these colony and a bunch of alien pods like yeah i want no especially with him aging it kind of makes it kind of well he's still working like like crazy uh... man he had two movies come out last year and he's working on napoleon right now he's making a napoleon movie like that's the thing though i feel both of those movies failed though like the last duel and gucci so last duel critically didn't fail it failed at the box office failed at the box office and yeah. then gucci didn't fail the box office but critically failed yeah so yeah i i don't know i just worry a bit about that coming together quick enough this this conversation honestly reminded me of this like weird thing with like richard donner like forever had this plan to make Goonies too. He was like, <laughs> I thought you were gonna say, "No, dude, I got, I got an idea, I got a script, everything. It's gonna happen." And he was still saying like, "It's gonna happen," until he was like ninety. No, no, and then he died. I actually just heard yeah. Sean Astin say the other day that he thinks it could still happen. Okay, it, it might happen making, without uh, him. There, there's literally they just released a trailer for this a couple weeks ago for a Christmas story. Christmas is what it's called, cool. and All it right, has. Yeah. Like the same Peter Billingsley as an adult. Okay. So they're doing I mean, legacy his kooky sequels. Kooky dad passed away a long time ago, the actor, but. Yeah, they're know. doing legacy sequels like crazy now, man. Like it's a. Like, For sure. So like did you 1. hear about. When you said Richard Donner. Top Gun made. Yeah. Well, yeah, Top Gun and Top Gun was huge. 
But you, when you said Richard Donner, I thought you were going to say Lethal Weapon 5, which was also in development forever. Either either way, I'm not going to get Richard Donner's Lethal Weapon 5 or Richard Donner's Goonies 2. It's going to be somebody else, well, it's right? Mel now, Gibson. They hired Mel Gibson. Virtue. He's making it him and... Like, there's a script, there's the stars, and there's like... Is he directing it, He's then? directing it, yeah. Okay. Like, when was Hacksaw? I felt like that was kind of... People being okay with him again. No, people are back not of. being okay with him, which is fine. Okay, I don't think okay. it's a wise choice. I think now that Warner Brothers is under new management, it might get canceled. No, for sure. Like he he's kind of come across as way too toxic of a dude. Yes. To then trust with something. Yes. Like regardless of how liked Hacksaw was. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, uh, I mean, like, and then Beverly Hills Cop Four finally came out of development hell after twenty five years. It's okay. it's coming to Netflix making it. They're shooting it right now. Axel Foley's back? Yeah. Is Judge Reinhold in it? <laughs> I don't know. But no, it's fully <laughs> okay. it's fully being made finally after all these years and it's a Netflix film, which means uh, Yeah, okay. It's a, at least it's not nothing at all, I guess. So anyways. Um yeah. One of the one of the big ones I have written down here is Rendezvous with Rama, which you you yeah. told me was like, Oh, David Fincher's so hype on this Arthur C. Clarke book, it's it's gonna happen. Morgan Morgan was Freeman like, was attached awesome. to the star. Yeah. Like he's gonna make a sci-fi movie. What a what I'm an still incredible moment that's baby, gonna be. Then. Yeah. <laughs> but that was fourteen years ago. Yeah. He's making like, his next movie was supposed to come out this year, but then I think got pushed till next year. But he has like a, another movie coming out on on Netflix again, which is so exhausting. Uh, yeah, I was gonna ask, like a movie no, or Netflix. like a TV show? No, it's a Netflix okay. movie. But it's fast. We did see Mank in a theater, so it's possible. To it do will this. show in a theater, but I just I don't want to give Netflix my money, ever. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah, I'm still waiting uh, yeah. for Fincher to make his sci-fi. Like that's that was a big one. And then there there was I feel that is this true or is this just a whisper in the wind or some conversation we had while we were driving somewhere? Like after he sold Star Wars, George Lucas was like, "Dude, I have this screenplay for this World War II romance film," and Francis Ford Coppola was kind of hyping it as like. Oh, I'm so excited that George is going to get back to like an intimate little thing because he's really good at that. And I don't know, that didn't happen, right? Well, I think it like, did though. Didn't it take place with the like the Red Red Wings? Red Tails is a movie that exists, but it was that what he was talking about? I, man, I I don't know this one. This uh this movie that you're talking about. See, maybe this is just a dream I had. No, I don't I think it's not possible. There's many George Lucas's like outside of star wars because when he first finished making the prequels he was like now i'm gonna go make movies for me yeah and then he i think it's just i was waiting for those ones for him to happen yeah and now i don't know you know like he's in this documentary series about industrial light and magic talking a lot yeah and that's fun to see but it's not you know him shepherding anything i but he took his you know beatings by fans for a long time there so maybe he just quietly made this and it's in his house it's like prince's secret music videos that he made for himself oh, sure. we're never gonna see them yeah or what's uh, it called but, that one captain zeo or whatever it is that you can only see at universal at Studio. disneyland yeah. sometimes sometimes yeah and maybe not anymore because i've seen it. michael jackson's okay i've seen it i saw it, it was playing when i was there i was so happy because it was like francis ford coppola's lost yeah secret. francis ford coppola's like most expensive per minute <laughs> cost or whatever it is yeah. it's like this is over a million dollars a second or something. <laughs> it's like, crazy. all right um 
Francis Ford Coppola is even getting like a, a dead pro. He's making Megalopolis, a movie he's been trying to make for three, four decades. Okay. So that's actually happening. I don't know. It's yeah. George Lucas making more movies period would have been un- okay with me. But okay. And then there, there's ones that aren't exactly, they never happened, but they didn't happen the way we wanted them to, I guess, which I know you have some of these because Nicholas Cage has been like, shaking hands with people and almost being in things and then now nah, we're gonna do it with somebody else now like mickey rourke in the wrestler yeah like it could have been him he was the fully wrestler. he was spotted at indie wrestling events like going to indie doing character studying he was, rec- he was he was building up his physique to get bulkier yeah he was fully on board he was researching the role and then darren aronofsky like found out that mickey was interested and he went and respectfully asked Nick to back out because he wanted Rourke to take it. And Mickey, and then Nick Rourke, Nick Nick Cage was like, "Yeah, for sure, like it, that's fine." Okay, which I kind of want that alternate universe. I want that alternate universe see it, where you know? Darren Aronofsky doesn't get what he wants, and I get what I, I want. I did feel like Mickey fit that role specifically very well. Yes, Randy the Ram, but. As we talked about last week with Mickey Rourke's kind of general flakiness and whatever, I don't really care about Mickey Rourke no, as a dude. No, <laughs> so. I think if there was, but I also don't know if it would be the same movie if it was. Like, I mean, I guess we have seen Sad Eyes Nick Cage in like uh, Leaving Las Vegas, but I just don't know if it would have been the same movie with him too, you know? I, I could see him flipping out at a lady for adjusting her potato salad order yeah. pretty easily. And do that actually know? pretty well. Yeah, yeah that's fair that's fair but i don't know uh aronofsky's uh, batman year one would have been fun an r-rated batman movie he pitched before batman begins became a thing mm-hmm. that's one that oh, i've heard about many sorry, times. sorry aronofsky he pitched that out, high he wrote okay. a script for batman year one uh that would have been r-rated when would that have come out in relation to because like it was 2004 I feel after black swan he hit a like no swoon, it, like so it was before 2004 oh. because then they were like no we're gonna green light this softer more family-friendly christopher nolan version we're gonna go with this nolan direction yeah. okay it's interesting that happened there instead of after dark knight rises but then it's like dude like noah or <laughs> well yeah or i think at that point he was not building it he was not no longer building his name in hollywood he was in hollywood okay because him him like i feel like he has maybe burnt his stock to the ground with like mother and stuff but it's like that was a wild thing i didn't mind watching it no, I didn't that mind was crazy. he he has a big movie this year he's he's responsible for that brendan frazier comeback the whale the whale yeah that's him okay okay so. at least at least he hasn't lost everything no, no. i just feel like he has the chance to like I don't know, Terry Gilliam or something where it's like, these keep failing. Like why, why would we put money in this? Like, what are we doing? Yeah. There's, yeah. I mean, there's other directors that have never had successful films and they keep doing it because people, they keep, they get to hang out because of, well, because it's just art. Something. They're making good art. Scorsese just had a great op-ed where he talked about how the box office was the, is the box office numbers tracking is the worst thing that ever happened to Hollywood. Sure. Okay. Because now it's like, they won't make movies unless they think it can make money. And it's like, mm. oh, that's not what we made art for before. It was just in case it made money. So, yeah. Um, uh, and then the, I think I feel this keeps coming up as like Reddit talking about Lord of the Rings and this new show, maybe potentially. 
And then be like, oh man, can you imagine if that Peter Jackson trilogy came out and Nicolas Cage was Aragorn? <laughs> that's like, that never yeah, happened. that sounds amazing. Well, that was, yeah. it was because Stuart, Stuart Townsend yeah. actually filmed a few weeks as Aragorn and then was fired. And then Viggo Mortensen had to get fly in and catch up on acting with the movie. Okay. So, yeah. For, that's like, but is that canceled project? Because it's like, that's what's his face. Um, also got fired from X Men. Dougery Scott like, was like, "Hey, every, I'm not taking every, this. I'm not taking this Wolverine role. I'm quitting this movie, and I'm gonna go do Mission Impossible 2. Oh yeah. And then Hugh Jackman gets called up at the last second to fill that in. But I like it's it's sort of always pitched as like, "Oh man, we sure dodged a bullet there." Yeah. Can you imagine Nicolas Cage overacting his ass off? In... Oh, that's bullshit. That's yeah. yeah. Nicholas, you know i like i like vigo mortison and i feel like he brings the right amount of gravitas to a pretty silly character that is aragorn sure but maybe nick's energy went, might not have been but if there fit. was this like camp factor to those three movies i might watch them more like they might be worse but i'd like them more sure you know i thought you were going like, to say the guillermo del toro hobbit films if you sure. not ever left those ones which it was a project that was realized, but without the initial. Well, and Guillermo's been very clear that it's not what he realized. Sure. So, but he probably already made like production design decisions. Yeah, that's stuff, why right? the first two movies are, credit him as the writer still. Okay. Battle of the Five Armies is the only one without his credit as involvement, yeah. really, because it's like, yeah, okay. Well, I think at that point uh, it was just so, he hadn't made it that far in production. That's also just a Guillermo. I mean, Guillermo's list. Of unrealized projects is so long because yeah like his mountains of madness sounded cool sounds cool like, i would watch that but that's what i mean like he, he well he has the tendency to talk about projects long before they're ready to come out and then and then move on interest wise and then somebody else be like hey what about that thing and he's like oh yeah no not gonna didn't work out like didn't pacific room he abandoned pacific room so fast and i was like fully on board with this as this is a franchise i want to see and he's like now nah, i'm done i only want to do one and I was like, what? And then they allowed somebody else to make over the sequel years later and it was garbage. And I was like, what are we doing? I I, I don't think I can ever say that movie's garbage because there was still Kaiju fighting in it. Sorry, so you I liked okay. Uprising? Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, I, not like I wanted this is to a Nathan. good movie, but this has big fights in it, so it's fine. They look like, so I've seen bad. worse of these. They look so bad. <laughs> like, they were so... Like, they made all of them into, like, the, that Terminator later problems where they all became, like, s- long and slender and f- samurai-like. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I, I, I was still smiling. Right. I was still having an okay time. I'm, Charlie I'm Day so was happy there. I'm happy that somebody liked that movie because I was sat in that theater being like, this sucks. This hour... Right. This 100-minute movie is terrible. I mean, I... It's no like you know we're canceling the apocalypse or whatever. Like I think I I sort of realized like that's probably where Idris Elba. <laughs> that's where I really took note of him for the first time. Oh, he honestly, as I went through all the actors in that movie, completely forgot that he was in it. He says we're canceling. I know. The apocalypse. I I'm not great. an Idris guy. I really am. I'm really not. Not even in that film. It's specifically in that film because I forgot he was in. It. I was like, oh, you mean Ron Perlman? That's or like Curly Bill Pullman's Day. or Garrett Hedlund. Like I went, no Charlie. No, Hunnam Garrett Hedlund isn't even in Charlie it. Hunnam, which is you tells could swap you right there. out Charlie Hunnam for Garrett Hedlund. Wouldn't matter <laughs> but, <laughs> because yeah. they are the same person in my mind. Yeah, like honestly, I get them mixed up all the time, and not like their faces, but like their names. Sure. Anyways, 
Uh, no, I in my brain, that's like a Ron Perlman or Charlie Day movie first. All right. I like Charlie Day in that it's, movie quite a bit, so. I like Charlie Day in that movie, too. Like, I, I think the read on, like, what I was getting from people online was like, yeah, it's like modern-day Rick Moranis in this. I was like, sure. Yeah. That's sort yeah. of the vibe. He's kind of got great. that vibe, though, as a modern-day Rick Moranis. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Realized sequels. <sighs> I realized. I mean, we've we've had some. The the one that came to mind when we were talking about Prometheus and stuff was, uh, what is, what is, um, Elysium district nine guy oh, neil D- blomkamp was trying to do oh sure district 10 also <laughs> but the the kind of legacy sequel to aliens uh, i'm you so know. happy that one didn't happen it's just a, a giant be back, baby for james cameron movie you mean who would who would you cast as uh michael bien who's the modern michael bien garrett headland or uh, jay courtney Sebastian <laughs> at Stan. that time looks a lot like him um okay smash the scene did you okay so we watched terminator genesis and dark fate recently which are the third and fourth attempt to make a sequel to the second movie um Mm -hmm. (laughs) james cameron he he publicly disowns genesis but the only pull quote on my case for genesis is this movie is awesome you're gonna love it james cameron james cameron (laughs) What a sellout. Oh, man. And then the fifth Shameless. movie, he's like, he came back and he was like, I had a hand in the production. You can trust me. This movie is going to be successful. And then, yes, it's better. It is better because it's a, well, it's, it's an kind of fun. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of fun. I like Genesis too because it's just silly. And I'm okay It also with seemed it. to have weird pointed stuff about like Mexican immigration. Yes. At the time. Uh, yeah. But man, number, Dark Fate, like the stories that Tim Miller the director has shared afterwards i've just like i don't want to direct anymore like i was like i'm going into animation almost full-time because i can't handle certain people like jimmy cam's hanging out in the editing bay or whatever and then yeah tim miller is sharing like oh i had an idea for a scene like this and i had an idea for a scene like that and they got shut down and then we did this instead and i was like that sounds like a way more interesting terminator movie anyways i'm so i kind of love that franchise because they've had two successful films and then four attempts, four separate attempts mm-hmm. at a third movie. And especially the fourth and fifth coming out years apart, like three years apart. I sort of generally feel that robots have not been adequately served in modern media. Sure. <laughs> like well, the, that should be a great idea. This, remember when, like when talked... Robocalypse was getting kicked around is like Spielberg's doing Robocalypse. I, I, I was know. like. That sounds so dumb. It's going to be great. Yeah, exactly. And it didn't happen. Well, I mean, for me, it was iRobot killed this, my fascinating. Because I, I hated the design. Of the, honestly, it comes down to the design of the robot. I have to like the design of the robot for it to, I, to for me to want to see it. That's a, But yeah, like even a bad robot movie like Chappie, I like the design of the robot. But that's what I'm so saying. Like, was okay it was like it. a bad robot movie with a bad robot design like iRobot. I'm like, oh, this movie is not that great. Sure. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, but... Uh. In the franchise that is... Maybe Westworld is secretly doing all of this and I haven't kept up with it. Well, you know. so for me, the sequel that... The the move, the Terminator movie that needs to be made... Do you remember we talked about that Jurassic Park spinoff idea where it was like a, a Velociraptor? Smaller scale, like, slasher movie, but so it's a So why does dinosaur. everybody keep trying to do, like, the big scale that is two and not just go yeah. back and make a horror movie like the first one again? 
that was actually kind of what I liked about Looper is it felt like it was throwing back to like a big premise, but a smaller realization of an idea like that. Yeah. And it was it was kind of like the original Terminator like problem of just hey, we are, going we back to budget. intervene. We have a low budget, this. but we have a high concept. What can we do with it? Yeah, just with the simple trick of editing, you just have a person appear in front of a cornfield, and that's sort of an effect. Yeah. But it's super easy to do. No, hundred percent. And yeah. that's what I mean. So like, I feel like with Terminator, they just keep going. They keep trying to amp up the volume, and I'm it's like, guys, bigger. What if we yeah. turn down the volume and you scared people again? Like. Robots, those robots look cool. Just, yeah, have more, a robot shows up at some weird period in time to screw this up for everybody. Yeah, and that's what, I mean, I think Predator proved that with the new Prey movie. It's like, oh, we just made it simple again. A Predator shows up, tries to kill people. people Rite of passage, gonna fight. And people yeah. resist. That's it. I really wish that, like, back to your Hulu point, that that was in theaters. Oh, like, at so, that lull in August, we were, like, desperate for something to go see. Yeah. And, like, the best thing out wasn't even on the screen. No, I mean, like, we, was you and I saw weird. Beast just to kind of go to a movie theater. It's like, eh, I'll see Idris punch a lion. Yeah, 100%. Whatever. But I was like, if I yeah. could have seen Prey, though, I would have been different. I would have been like, yeah. Anyways, cool. Yeah. There you go. All right, that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. If you would like to send in some questions or comments for the show, email ryan at okvu.ca or nathan or tweet or Instagram us, okvu podcast. Next week, we celebrate All Saints Day with our ranking of all nine slasher films we looked at over the last couple months. We will also reveal the new batch we will be looking at heading into the winter holiday season, so stay tuned for that. Until then, I'm Nathan. And I'm Ryan. Happy Halloween. 